The Hurling Pod on OTB Sports. I love the way Kikini celebrated. I love the way Limerick celebrated Munster, right? To, to go where we actually want to win the next you know, Or were they treating it as just another game, another step stone? That's, that's the question I have. Subscribe to the GA Podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Skehill and Paul Murphy. People of Galway, we love you! I don't want to leave the people of Warford down, you know, because they're my life, you know. People of Warford are my life, you know, and I, 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 love, I, love, I love my county, you know. We love Jambalan! It's almost like they're afraid to kind of mm. go and hurl and yeah. just let themselves express themselves. They're, it's like as if they're nearly afraid to make a mistake and sometimes you have to make a mistake and just throw off that bit of nervousness and have a go. Yeah, it's pure constipated hurling. You are very welcome along to episode 17 of the Hurling Pod. We're now down to six teams remaining in the race for the Lee McCarthy following wins for Cork and Wexford last weekend. We'll be looking ahead to this Saturday's quarter-final doubleheader at Semple Stadium. Clare will be looking to put their Munster final disappointment behind them when they face off against Wexford and Cork will be looking to overcome Galway. Plenty of frustration in Clare at the weekend with Peter Duggan and Rory Hayes hit by one-game suspensions but the CCCC were they influenced by the discussion of the instance on the Sunday game. That that is a question mark following on from last weekend. We'll also be hearing from the longest serving current senior intercounty hurler, that is Derek McNicholas of Westmeath. They've secured Division 1 League and Leinster Senior Championship hurling for 2023, and he is heading into what would potentially be his 19th season of his intercounty career. Remarkable uh, from Derek McNicholas, who scored the goal in their draw against Wexford in the Championship this season. But as normal, we've got Paul Murphy and James Scale with us. How are you getting on, lads? Great now, Will. Hey, lads, how are you? Paul Murphy, how much are you looking forward to potentially playing before an All-Ireland football semi-final, which could be, if things go as probably expected, might well be Dublin against Kerry. Before that, could well be Kilkenny against Warwickshire, maybe in an All-Ireland junior final. Yeah, you just broke the news to me before we came on, so it's, uh, I actually got a bit nervous when I, when, I saw the, when I saw the message there. But um, yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's, it's a great incentive. to like Obviously, we knew we were going to be playing in Crow Park, but we didn't know there was going to be a fixture after us. Well, I didn't know anyway. So uh, the potential that, again, not jumping the gun, but two Paul Murphys could be playing football in Crow Park the same day. So I may get on to Paul Murphy at Kerry and just see, has he any tips for me for that day? But look, we have to win our first match first um, and not take our eye off the ball there and get into Crow Park in the first place. Nice. It could be exciting times. It could be a rush for tickets. Southern Scale will be the first ones on to you to try and get uh, tickets to watch that final. Look, look, I think it's a great incentive, though, Murph. If you think about it, right, the Talton Cup is going to be on the Saturday just before the first of the semifinals. And then uh, potentially, if you were to win, you'd be on the Sunday afternoon at half past one before the second semifinal. Like for the lower grade competitions, and we've been talking about this and hurling all the way along, too, this provides a perfect shop window to go out and play football on a big occasion. Well, it does, yeah, absolutely. And like traditionally, when Kilkenny for the last 10 years or so have been playing over in England and different things like this, and people were looking saying, geez, isn't it great you get a trip over to England for a week, a few weekends and different things. Um, but the, I suppose the carrot this year was that you're going to play in Crow Park. And for me, I was going, well, that's brilliant. Like I know I've played there plenty of times, but I was thinking, geez, I'd love to go back up there again and play, and especially play football up there. So like, if you said that to me, that's enough. And that's a, for a lot of the players, we were going, that's brilliant. Try and get to Crow Park um, and uh, that's that's exceptional you know and that's what we want to do but the fact that now there's going to like if you do get there an all-ireland semi-final is going to be on after you like it's you know it's 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 nice to be associated with such a big day like that um and obviously by the end of that game if you are to get there 
um, for whatever two teams are in that final you're going to have probably 50 or 60,000 people obviously drifting in for, for the match that's going to be on after it. Like that in itself will be special. Okay, they're, probably, they're not there to watch you. But, you know, you have a feel for that atmosphere and a lot of players who will be on the pitch won't have experienced that before and they'll forevermore be able to have it. So, look, whatever two teams get into the final and play it, obviously I'm hoping to be there. Um, it'll be a great experience and fair play for to the GA for, for organising it because, again, like you said, it gives great publicity to it and I think... The, the more of this they can do the better Skell a lot of anger on Friday night frustration from Clare supporters particularly I noticed in the Galway camp there doesn't seem to be much outcry about Keenan Fahey getting a two game suspension we kind of expected that you were talking about it last week that the stamp was always likely to lead to a ban but the two incidents which were heavily talked about on the Sunday game well three really because we're not actually sure which one of the Peter Duggan incidents has led to this one game suspension but Rory Hayes too uh, two key Clare players as things stand, unless they were to win an appeal later in the week, are going to miss the game against Wexford. And it has re-fired all the debate about retrospective action and even trial by media to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. I, I think starting from a Gory perspective, there's been there's been no issue. Like I think we as a county have accepted uh, the suspension for Keenan because we didn't first of all we don't condone the action. And like he, we know he got he got a two game ban, which is more than what the two boys got. And um, we don't condone the action, but I suppose from a process perspective, in in the way that he got the ban, it, it looks to be tried by media as well. The referee missed it, the lines are missed it. All the officials who, who were there on the day of the game to, to officiate and overview the game, let's say, all missed it. And it was only picked up through you know, through, through media. So it can be easy to be seen. Like I, I, mean, I mean this with the greatest respect now, but if he was a player of huge importance to go, let's say, for example, it was a Dahi Burke who was a, the absolute pillar of the defence, or, or it was Conor Whelan, then I might say there could be a different, a, a, a bigger outcry. Let's say that's why I think the Clare people. There's two things. One is the level of importance that the Clare players carry. Like Rory Hayes has been their arguably their best defender of the year so far, and Peter Duggan has been the guy who has been kind of the launch pad for for long ball up to the forwards. So you're losing two of your big players, and I think I think the Clare supporters will look at the game itself and see more incidents that developed and try to point towards that. Within why weren't they? You know, sanctioned or why weren't they suspended? And again, it's just like you mentioned before, it's about the whole transparency issue. And is well, I think we're we're a step or two behind rugby, whereby they're quite forthright in in even identifying the sighting. They put up video of it. You know, on on there's no problem putting up on social media, and the panel make their own decisions. And it's quite a clear process of when the sighting commences, when the hearing is going to be. So there's no like, will he train? Will he won't train? Will he join the panel? Will he won't join the panel? Uh, uh, you know, will he be available? The hearing will be X days after the incident. It'll it'll happen. The result will be twenty four hours later, and you move on. Whereas in GA, we're still a step behind that. So I can see why the Clare people are, are, are grieved. And from watching social media over the course of the weekend, there was a lot of content, <laughs> if you like, from and from Clare players alike as well. And even some Limerick folk, I see that you know that they they were saying that the whole process was was incorrect, which I agree with. And um, I don't think any Clare person, there's no Clare person I've seen online who has condoned the action of either Peter. Uh, or, or or Rory so <clears throat> that's the first thing but it's definitely around the process Yeah when it comes to this Murph I think if things were a lot clearer it would be easier maybe for supporters to accept what's happened and James O'Connor was even writing at the weekend that you know Clare supporters could have a genuine grievance about the way that things were covered on the Sunday game last week because it was these three instances we're all talking about Clare players they were highlighted and because the CCCC have got the power to go back retrospectively to look at something that wasn't uh, punished by the officials at the time so if the instant is missed in the eyes of the committee they can go back and retrospectively have a look at the footage naturally they're probably going to be somewhat swayed by this the only thing is if the CCCC explained that they were looking at say 
nine different incidents from last weekend and we only hear about the three that have actually resulted in suspensions i think people will be less annoyed when we don't know and there's that kind of vacuum of non-information straight away you assume that it's only because cummins and dowling discussed it in the sunday game that these were up for debate at all yeah absolutely and we we talked i think in one of our first podcasts just about players getting frustrated when referees don't explain what decision has come about and, and explain the process to them. Well, this is, seems to be on a larger scale, this one, basically, because you're left with the result, but you don't know exactly why it's after happening. Like, you know, like we were chatting about there, that, you know, which one of, of Peter Duggan's, um, let's say, the incidents he was involved in, and that's not to highlight him even more mm. again, but again, there was one or two. So there's a lot of questions there. And, you know, obviously enough, Clare have dealt with quite a bit over the last, you know, year or so or two years in terms of, let's say, the penalty against Tipperary down on the Ennis Road, as it was called, um, then the COVID case and things last year. And like, you know, you kind of, I suppose you nearly build a siege mentality in that case because you feel there's a few things going against you. So obviously, you know, they put up a great battle against Limerick. Um look like they're going for a quarter final and then suddenly they see they get the results of it but don't understand the process which i think you know you, you certainly win over a few more people i don't know is that the right term win over the right people or a few more people or supporters when you explain the situation and like you were saying will like you know after a weekend if we hear on monday morning like this morning we heard the draws for the football um on radio one whereas like if, if if it was announced on a Monday morning the CCCC are looking into a few cases you might go okay this is coming down the tracks and then they explain something you might actually go okay I can kind of get on board with this but a lack of information there that's I can understand the frustration there from from supporters when you're you're now down to your best players but maybe there's not as much explanation around the the, the leading or the thinking into it Oh, look, you two can both give me a perspective on what it's like from a player around suspensions. I've only ever seen it from the journalist's point of view. And how it exists here is you usually know somebody who's involved in either that committee or the DRA. And you get in contact with them and say, send me a text if something happens, particularly around an appeal. And that's how you find out. It's not like rugby or in soccer where, like quite literally, if this happens in the Premier League tomorrow and somebody is up for a disciplinary, you will get an email from the FA saying that they're looking into an incident from last week and such and such has requested an appeal or they've got however many hours before they need to lodge their appeal. You'll then find out that the appeal is taking place and pretty promptly after the decision is made, there will be an announcement of the suspension, why it's happened and that the appeal happened or not. So it's really transparent. Again, in rugby, somebody will be cited and then you will hear that the citing is due to take place on such and such a day and then you will get the full disciplinary come out by email to the media afterwards. And straight away, everybody knows, clubs, players, media, everyone knows exactly what happened, what was looked into and what the consequences are. In the GA, it operates far more like a secret society where literally if you don't know somebody in the county board who was maybe up at the hearing with the player or if you don't know somebody who's sitting on the committees, you're not going to find out. And in this case, it was like on Friday, it obviously information got out to a few outlets that the two Clare lads and also Fahey had got the suspensions, but no more information on it. And like, that's the thing about the Duggan one, is that there were two Duggan incidents that were talked about in the Sunday game. Uh, there was the Sean Finn one, and there was also the uh, alleged strike on Will O'Donoghue. Not sure which of the two led to a suspension. So if he goes to appeal, I'm not sure what he's actually appealing this week, unless you talk to someone in Clare County Board who might be going up to the, the appeal. Like... Scal, that seems crazy to me. I mean, you were telling us before we came on that you were cited in your rugby days and it was incredibly clear by comparison. <laughs> well, look, it's, it's down on the record. You were cited and you were, you were hit with a suspension, right? Welcome to the rugby pod. Yeah. That is true, yeah, that is true. 
uh, look, I wasn't innocent either, you know. So it's not like as if, as if I had to I had to go and portray my innocence. It was trying to to go and trying to get the, the least amount of suspension possible. But the process was way different. Like I, I look, admittedly, I've been sent off in both Ruby and Hurland. And you're right. saying as a goalie, how in the name of God he sent off in Hurland? But yes, I have been sent off. Uh, and I've got straight straight reds in both, right? Um, we'll, come, we'll come back to why that was, but tell yeah, me about okay. the rugby first. Okay, but the rugby—I just tell you about the about the far the the form of it. So the rugby, I got a letter to my house um, two three days after the incident. So the match was on like a Sunday, and I got a letter like on the Tuesday, Wednesday, um, and then the, the rugby club got a letter as well. So it was a hearing that was fixed in a hotel up, let's say, in the Midlands somewhere. Mm. And the hearing that went to the hearing, I didn't have to be there myself. I, was, I could be represented by a club official or a third party, which is fine. Gave the case. And then I got 24 hours later, I got a judgment of a suspension. So it was very, very you know, sharp, fast. I knew exactly what was coming ahead of me and it was moved on. On the hurling terms, it took weeks. Like it took weeks. Um, so I got sent off on a Sunday and then there was no hearing for ages. I couldn't find out information off our club secretary or club chairman. I was trying to go to the county secretary, couldn't find out anything. There was a committee to be chaired together because there was 12 or different or 15 different people who could be picked to be on this three four-man committee it finally happened and i got a suspension that was actually served by the time i had the hearing so it was <laughs> it was quite uh unorthodox if you like um but look I, I think maybe that was the reason that suspension was, was or the reason that hearing was so pushed off was because we actually got knocked out of our championship so i'd say maybe it wasn't quite as important you know or or needs to be brought, uh, needs to be quite as immediate for um But I think the, the, the process is like, from my experience, there's there's huge differences, like there's chalk and cheese. And I think, I think the GA in general, like we have a lot to learn from different sports and how we go about our processes and definitely the disciplinary is one of them. But like, I, I struggle to, to remember um, this actually happening to other incidents. Like for example, um, Aaron Galland, the most defined last year when he struck Kyle Barrett, like, do you know? Should that have been a red card, a retrospective red card? You know, if you start cherry picking all these incidents, why don't you go back and suspend them now? <laughs> like it's yeah. just, it's kind of, and that, that's that's why I think the Clare people are so um, so agreed because they're just they've just picked incidents with no, I suppose, parameters. You know what I mean? There's no reasoning. Well, the the Keen Inch know. one is the one that jumps out for me, Scott. When you think about the All Ireland final last the year, it was like headlock thing. The headlock into a judo throw, effectively. So, like, it's a red card all day long if they're going to decide that, say, it wasn't looked at at the time. Yeah. That, that's a nailed-on retrospective ban. But again, because it happened in All-Ireland final, you just kind of move on and next season it'll come around. But, like, if that was in the Champions League, again, I, I hate to compare this to other sports, but say if somebody had gone in and judo-chopped, Casemiro did that on Mo Salah in the Champions League final and they ended up retrospectively banning them, he would have missed the first few games of this year's Champions League. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. And, like, I... You're right, and that's what I'm saying. Like the, the likes of soccer, I don't know. Is that is the, is the reason behind that? Because the sport we're talking about is professional. Is it because it's soccer, rugby? I don't know. Um, is it because these panels or these committees are there maybe on a full time basis, and that the GEA obviously have their their own work with their own lives? Maybe that has to that comes into it too. Um, what I will say as well is I don't like people pointing the finger at John Keane and saying that like. Like he's he's been thrown under the bus somewhat for this. Mm-hmm. I thought he had a great performance. You know what I mean? And like that will bring me on to something we might chat later about how how is the referee supposed to cope in today's game when you consider the pace at which players are operating and the speed the ball is travelling. Like and still with the same number of officials with responsibility, probably ninety five percent falling on the referee. So that's a, that's a far greater discussion in my in my perspective. Yes, we can talk about the processes for applying suspensions, etc. But we have to give more assistance to referees or else we'll keep having these situations whereby we have to go trial by media because the ref didn't catch it on the day of the game. 
Murphy, I'll ask you about the, the point in John Keenan in a second. I'm just wondering, Skell, explain to us what was a straight red card for? Because that was club. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, when did you get a straight red card for Galway? I'm guessing this was a club red card. I was never sent off for Galway. Yeah, right. I was only booked a few times. But in That was for messing with not poking out the ball and all that kind of stuff. Just, yeah, just, just, just being... Yeah, okay. <laughs> just leave, poke out the ball. Let's leave it at that, right? And the obvious mouthing. Um I, I may... I, oh, jeez, I'm here to admit this now. Christ, Will... Why Sorry, now you opened you open the floor in this scale by saying you got a red card. Yeah, well, you opened the door and I walked straight, to, didn't I? Yeah, sure did. <laughs> it was a club game. Uh, hello, sir. Right, my county teammate. I, I may have, I may have stood them. So and I just, oh, I deserved it. Completely deserved it. Why keen on young, young, dumb, and stupid? Yeah. So I, <laughs> I certainly deserved what I got anyway. And ironically, it was a, it was a, it was Kenning's brother who was the umpire. <laughs> I looked at him, can you save me? And he just said, I oh, can't. Right, right, right. I can't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I deserved it. I fully deserved it. Yeah. And a classic style, the wheels just as move slow and you never even had to really serve the ban at all. But there you <laughs> go. Um, Murph, on the point though about the referee, because this, um, according to reports, and again, this is what's been reported in the media at the weekend, that this came up tail end of last week in a meeting with the referees that they discussed that last weekend that maybe some of these incidents weren't dealt with on the pitch and apparently they were feeling that John Keenan potentially let too much flow last week. Yet I thought that was one of the main reasons we, we were praising him on this very pod for the way that the game had a flow about it and the way that he was kind of consistently applying the rules and now it would seem that there's a dictate that they're going to have to tighten up for the rest of the championship. Yeah, and I think that'd be one of the worst moves going if the likes of John Keenan is punished for for what happened last weekend. Like again, we said it last week, and I still stand by what I said anyway. That John Keenan contributed to that match massively. And the the thing is, when you let a game flow, there's going to be incidences one way or another. But I suppose the way that they've locked down it so hard, that may be a deterrent for the likes of John Keenan going forward. Because obviously he doesn't want to have what is observed as a bad game when the referees committee are looking at it and they're marking him going forward. Um, I don't. He had a great game, and I, I think it's actually one of the performances across the board we've heard by supporters and and neutrals and everyone who watched the game said that you know the referee contributed to a really good game there. And like even if you look at like uh, like the Kilkenny Galway game. Okay, in the time I was getting texts during that game saying that, you know, Richie Reid had been stamped on, and uh, there was nowhere you could see it until after the game that he had been. But, like, look, James Owens was reffing that, and, you know, some people might say that I'd have every reason not to be a fan of James Owens, but I'd look at that fairly balanced and go, well, look, it, like, okay, it happened right in front of the linesmen, and, but there was a lot happening at the time. It's hard for referees to catch these things, uh, you know, if, I, if I'm being very honest about it. And James was kind of alluding to it, you know, before we came on, just about, you know, a bit more help for referees there. Because you need someone, really, I think, who's removed from the situation. If you want to look at these situations, the referee can catch so much, the linesman can catch so much, but they're all, you know, they all have a lot to be doing. And particularly if we go at the Clare and Limerick game, that was, there was so much happening in that game that for one man, let's say John Keenan in the, in the centre, to catch everything was always going to be impossible. And that was, like, that game was even an exception, really, overall, because it was such an intense game. But, like, as James was saying, James probably chat a bit more about it there. Other sports have these referees, I suppose, who are removed from the game a little bit, that they can see a little bit more, that they also have the, the benefit of video footage during the game and different things like that. Um, so, like, you know, I, I just think it'd be very hard if we were to look at John Keenan now, a week after one of the best games we've ever seen, and say that John Keenan didn't have a good game. John Keenan, I think, had an excellent game. And these incidents just happened... 
John Keenan should be afforded more assistance if that's what the GA want to do. But I would hate to see that he would get some sort of a, not even a rap on the knuckles, but a mark on his card that says he didn't officiate the game as best he could. I think he did. But like James, you were saying before that, you know, other sports, how they look at it. Yeah, like I was trying to, I was trying to equate or compare sports that they would have the same kind of pace of action, whether it be from a player or a ball. So I picked out four, or three, excuse me. I picked out the Aussie rules. I picked out American football and picked out ice hockey. And every one of them have, have like numerous ref- officials. So the AFL, they have nine officials. So they have three in-game refs and four linesmen. And in their rule book, all of them carry equal importance. So they can all make a decision. You know, they've, and then the two, the, the two goal line lads will do the funny waving with the hands, right? Then in the NFL, they've got seven officials. Again, all carry equal importance. They all have the flags they can throw and a play stops. And it's never questioned. You know, yes, the coach can challenge it once, once per half, but that's it. You know, and then in ice hockey, there's four referees. And... In that, that's a particular one. That's a different one that actually intrigued me a small bit. Of the four referees, two have a, have a job to watch a particular rule and the other two have a different job. So, so for example, two referees watch goals and fouls and the other two watch, let's say, offsides and icing. So I thought that was very actually a good one that maybe would apply to hurling. Like, do we need a second referee? Absolutely. I think it's it's actually very difficult to, to consider, like you want a linesman to travel up and down the pitch to, to, to cover the ground as fast as the ball travels. That's, that's, that's impossible. So do you get two more linesmen and then give them more, more, more duty? I don't know. Do you get a second, a second referee and plant them each one inside the 65? I think so. You know, I have no issue with that whatsoever. And I don't think it'll actually breed more fouls. I just think it'll breed better regulation. I just think if you had a referee who was right there on top of the incident with, for example, with, with, with Rory Hayes, I think he'd got a red card on the day. You know, and we wouldn't have all this shit mm. talk about tribal media. So again, I, I go back to my earlier point about the GA. We have a lot to learn. We do about our systems and processes. We have a brilliant game. Don't touch the game. <laughs> Leave the game alone. The game is fine, right? And pe- people will talk about rubyization. Shit talk, right? The game is brilliant. It's the best spectacle and people crave for that. It's like a gladiatorial kind of thing in the Coliseum when you see it go at it toe-to-toe like they did last Sunday week. But in terms of officiating and making the game better, this is one avenue we can go down. Yeah, it's kind of funny as well. I was looking through the uh, comments from last week's YouTube and naturally look, there was lots of discussion about various bits and bobs coming out of the Munster final. But the one thing that everyone seemed to be agreed on was how well John Keenan had ref the game. And like looking at Rachel Godfrey's comment here, as a Limerick supporter, delighted to hear them being recognised for how they carried themselves last Sunday. We were talking about that. They didn't react to some of the incidents. They're a tough team, but as Paul Murphy said, not dirty. Agree with Keenan letting the game flow. Yes, there were incidents, but there always will be within a game. The match was so much better for being let flow. And flow was the conversation I think many people had after the game, that there was, you know, a real feeling that kind of finicky fouls weren't being called and that allowed for an opportunity for the game to actually play out in a manly way but also in a very entertaining way for supporters I didn't see anyone after the game saying John Keenan should have called more freeze and I saw very few people who were actually calling for suspensions even for the instance that we saw in the Sunday game and that's why I was a little bit surprised when they actually came out with the suspensions on Friday night but I don't know Um, I wonder Murph if it's going to lead for more calls about looking at video evidence from now on too because when one county has been so heavily affected like I even saw some Clare supporters who were like understandably hurt by the fact that two of their main players are out for this coming weekend they were putting video up and even I I don't like the still shots as opposed to the video because still shots can give a very unfair representation but they were having a look at the Flanagan incident where he comes in to try and clean out remember the one where Tony Kelly kind of spun and got away with the ball but Shane O'Donnell gets hit he basically gets barged um, when there's players going into each other and they were saying look if these instances are a red card. Why aren't they looking at this? And understandably, that kind of what aboutery will come about if there's a feeling that everything that happens and doesn't get picked up by the officials should be looked at. 
Yeah, that's it. And I think all these things, again, are heightened if they're looked at after the match. Like, there, there is definitely a place for looking at these things after a game because things won't get picked up. But, like, if you look at the Leinster game over the weekend, I'm fairly sure the Leinster rugby match, there was an eye gouge in that. And, like, the fourth official just obviously radioed to the referee say, listen, I think we have something here that you might want to take a look at. He looks up at the big screen and goes, there's an eye gouge there. Um, opposition player gets sent off. And the, and the people in the stadium see what happened as well. They go, that's an eye gouge. You know, there was no riots at the Leinster game. And, you know, again, I'm not saying that's something that we have to bring in tomorrow, but it's certainly the rugby seem to have or rugby seem to have a good way of of going at this. And like, you know, I wonder, obviously, a good few years ago in the GA, they got rid of Incro Park replaying fairly contentious um, issues that might have happened, you know, either different things like this stamping or headlocks or whatever it's going to be. Bad tackles. We'll put it down that way. So it doesn't happen in Crow Park. So again, like, you know, obviously enough, let's say the Leinster final, they didn't show um, the stamp on Richie Reid in the stadium. But we knew, everybody in the crowd pretty much knew because there was texts going around, there was stuff on Twitter, people people knew it was happening. Whereas, let's say, for and use that as an example, if someone radioed uh, James Owens and said, listen, I think there's something here you might want to have a look at. You know, get it done fairly quick so you don't take the sting out of the game. You deal with it in the moment. And I think supporters rather you deal with it something in the moment than retrospectively because it could completely change the complexion of a game now retrospectively a player stays on the pitch for the full thing in the moment right. if you're showing that's the instant the players now off the pitch it may affect you know how if the game is won and lost so uh, you know i think a debate or it certainly there has to be something opened on this in terms of could we deal with this better on the day and if it's dealt with on the day i think people kind of park it as well so definitely video evidence to to, to assist a referee i i don't see why it couldn't be considered but you know what, as well, Murph, uh, and Will, yeah. just when you, we start talking about the officials, uh, and it reminds me of something, I just think their their focus is on the wrong spot. Like I just have to rewind back to uh, when the miners we played Leash there two two weeks ago in Port Leash. A real hot day, really, really hot day. And so I'm I'm doing the, the kind of the mirror, the, the hurley carrier, right, for the, for the backs in Galway. And so I have, the, I have the water as well. And the day was roasted. And the linesmen and fourth officials spent more time telling me to get off the pitch of water than they did actually officiate the game, you know. Yeah. And then the week previous, uh, our manager was given a towel to a player probably five yards away. The fourth official comes out to him and says, you haven't put in a request to the GA to use that towel. And then our Fergal goes, put in a request, so I requested. He, the fourth official comes back five minutes later, always request to use a towel has been denied. Like, oh, and I, I was just like, when I heard this, I couldn't believe this. Like, this is where our the officials' mind spaces. Like, the, the young lad taking a free can use a towel. The young lad on a roast and hot day, and we're talking about welfare and burnout here. I can't go out and give them a drink. Like, I'm not giving them some spruce juice that they're going to run faster. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm giving them water. Like, was that was the whole point, though, Skell, when they actually got to the stage where there was only. Um, a determined number of people could actually go onto the pitch so you obviously have your bib on to be one of the Mayor Forna who can actually yeah. go out and talk to the players the whole idea was that the Watson lads running around and loads of people going onto the pitch you're actually there as someone who's designated that can, that can go on That's right. if the ball's up the other end I don't see why there's a big and deal my, with that my bib as I was saying to the fourth, to the fourth official my bib says you know Mayor come on slash Ishka yeah. you know, and the young lads are thirsty I'm not going to make a young lad uh, sorry, sorry my, my zone or where I'm supposed to be is structured I can't that's my specific zone or specific area so there's a young fella who's the far side of the pitch I'm not going to make him run over to me to get a drink to run back mm. so I'm going to run over to him give the drink and give the Alicia lads a drink as well it's not as if I'm giving just the Goyle lads you know or the Clare lads the week previous so I just think it just leads on to what you're saying Murph the officials of the day the support officials their mind is not really focused on the specifics of the real important stuff like forget about a fucking towel and forget about the water just watch and officiate the game and let us do the rest you know <laughs> 
Right. Let, let's let's leave. Sorry, him rant, rant over. Okay, rant over. I had to get that in. Right? He, he's going to individually bring back water breaks. That's what's going to happen here yeah. by the end of this conversation. <laughs> uh, we'll park the off the field stuff for the moment. It's probably going to come back up when we talk about Clare being potentially without two of their main players for Wexford. But we know that Wexford and Cork have advanced into the uh, knockout stages proper of the All Ireland Championship now after winning their preliminary quarterfinals. Uh, Wexford uh, fairly easy win for them. Uh, Twenty one points in the end, three thirty to eighteen points away to Kerry. Uh, again, it looks like Wexford have built nicely on that victory against. Kilkenny was always going to be different for Kerry though on the back of losing the Talton Cup to be back out seven days later to play again um, Antrim gave Cork a good rattle the final scoreline which was 327 to 219 is maybe not totally reflective Antrim with the wind in the first half were leading by a point at half time they had a very contentious penalty given against them which led to a goal and then Cork just outhurled them in the second half it was a very good second half performance from Cork so Cork will now play against Galway this coming weekend and it's Wexford against Clare Murphy would GA go on and you were uh, were you split screening for this I watched Antrim and Cork yeah, no, I was split screen away, so I was I was trying to double job and watch both of them there. But uh, I looked, the two games were played at a marginally different pace. I put it that way. You know, Cork and Antrim started off, you know, really intense. There was four goals, I think, in the first twenty minutes, and. Um, you know, it was a good game, but you could see the conditions were obviously playing a factor. And I think, obviously, when you saw the second half, like in, in the first half, let's say, Keelan Malai popped up with a few points from midfield, which he could do when he was with the win. But you could actually see that in the second half for them and in the first half for Cork, the ball was just holding up that bit more when you were maybe going from shots from range um, and dropping short, which in the second half, you know, obviously didn't didn't suit Antrim. Um, now Antrim went in a point up at half time and they, there was good momentum with them but you know conditions weren't great and Cork in fairness Cork just seemed to be coming about their scores a little bit easier in fairness in that one um, and Kerry and Wexford in fairness too for the first 20 minutes there was only a point in it um, after 20 minutes then Kerry, Kerry got four points on the trot um, Podge Boyle popped up with four as well um, but the Kerry defence actually you know held up fairly well there was a few individual moments of really good defending with Kerry it's just Wexford just had too much of them, as as we would expect, and that's not to be unfair to Kerry. They just had a bit too much uh, for them. Um, but in fairness, there's lots of positive stuff that Kerry can take from this. Um, but again, I, I suppose it was just going to be a step too far, particularly as well after just coming out of the McDonough final um, to go and take on Wexford. So look, they were they were they were competitive for quite a bit in the game. But again, Wexford just just bridged you know bridged out the the gap in the end. Um, but again, Antrim and Cork, it, it was a good rattle though. In fairness, it's just. Cork were just a little bit, had a little bit too much for Antrim in the end. Yeah, probably no harm for Cork either to just get another run out and get a game ahead of playing this uh, quarterfinal. Um, be very interesting to see where teams are at. A bit like the football last week where it was the first time in a decade that all of the provincial finalists were knocked out. So they were coming in off the back of a loss. A lot of their managers had pointed that out, that it's different when a team has got the steam of a win or two behind them before they go into the next game. It's amazing what a difference actually getting a win and get the winning feeling can actually have. It seemed, Murph, that Lee Chin was kind of at his best in the wexford Kerry game too. He was, he was popping over a lot of scores the live tracker opened for that and I was watching Antrim Cork so it seems that the chin has come in settled things down and looks like he's going to be their free taker now coming into this game this weekend too yeah and you know it was an ideal game for him as well because he probably had just that extra half yard in the game where he could find space and that's kind of what Lee Chin does you know as long as he gets on the ball he's able to create that bit of space for himself and you know popping up with a few scores which again not saying it builds into his confidence not saying the man doesn't have confidence at the moment but certainly once you're popping balls over the bar for a forward you know regardless of the circumstances of the match that that's an important thing and it was ideal as well for or for Wexford 
to get him into a game and get him back on freeze and get him popping a few balls over the bar. So, you know, in the end of the league, we were talking about where does Lee Chin fit in this? Again, because of the way Wexford have gone over the last while, we see that, you know, he's very important to that forward line and now he has to be an important part of it and a central figure. Um, and this game, like you said, it was great to get another game for Wexford before going into the Clare game. So that Lee Chin, again, is playing a bit more with the lads around him. They're getting back into that rhythm again. So it was an important match. And yeah, he was he was hugely involved for the whole game. Just on the coverage, Murph, we had a message in on YouTube from Oliver Ryan. He said, gents, we'd love your thoughts on the preliminary quarterfinals been shown on GA Go only. There was one camera, no other angles or replays or halftime analysis. Uh, if a shocking reflection on two last eight, and they're in inverted commas, games in a sport that needs publicity. I'll be honest and say I didn't really mind too much, but I'll admit that my viewing experience might be different to others. So I was in the office, I had the phone propped up and I had it on just streaming in, in front of me. And I wasn't too concerned about how the coverage was with the commentary or with the halftime or whatever else. I was just kind of keeping an eye on the game. And it, it didn't actually even dawn on me that it was just the one camera tracking left and four, left and right, because I kind of expected that was going to be the case. Um, did it affect you, Murph? Like, I, I get Oliver's overall point here, though, which is that you're not packaging a last eight competition in hurling very well by giving it just this kind of bare streaming service by comparison to maybe the TV that some other fixtures would get. Yeah, I understand what he's saying. Um, it wasn't something I was expecting from the games, I'll be honest. I wasn't expecting to get a big halftime analysis. I was expecting uh, like that before the game. It would just, I suppose, I, anyone knows who they look, view it on GA Go. Um, quite often it just comes in just before the game starts. Depending on the game, obviously, um, will come in. You get you get the game, most importantly. You get to see the game. Again, uh, in Corrigan Park, yeah, there was one camera angle. I was happy enough. Again, as long as I got to watch the match, it, I didn't mind or, that I got to see both matches. But yeah, look, certainly, as, as he's saying there maybe there is a bit of scope where you could even just get a bit of on-pitch analysis I don't think anyone's asking for many replays or anything but certainly you know a bit of pitch side analysis maybe at half time going forward I, I think maybe they could look at that but it wasn't something I was expecting and it wasn't something either I felt hard done by that I didn't get at half time I just wanted to see the two matches and I was happy that there was somewhere I could go and actually watch the matches and be guaranteed that I was going to see them Scale, what did you make? Because like it was Wednesday afternoon when it was eventually announced that GA Go were going to show them. And up until that point, it appeared they were going to be not shown and it was going to be an entirely football weekend. Obviously, there was a bit of negotiating going on in the background uh, to make sure that these games were on. Look, I was thankful they were shown in the end. It's better late than never when it comes to a decision on it. But in a way, it's kind of mad that last eight contests in the Hurling Championship aren't already earmarked to be on TV. Yeah, like they, they should be... I won't say prime slots, but they should at least be given a slot on television. And I can see why Sky and RT didn't show them because in terms of uh, attractability, I think that the football outweighed the hurling. That's just mm. the way people look at it. And like, it's, it's it's well within Sky's rights to not pick the hurling. I just think that RT could have done maybe a bit something considering that they had the football on the Sunday. That's just my thoughts. But as well as that, like you look at, um, the, the I suppose the... <laughs> The, the only reason they put it on GA Go, I think, is because there was a few comments online as to why they weren't in the first place. Uh, then you go back towards the, the actually championship photograph shoot, and there was no representative from Kerry Rantham either. That, like, that's yeah. disgraceful as far as I'm concerned. If you're in the championship, you should be there to launch it. Um, that just that kind of screams to me like we were on about last week how there's there's a little. I don't want to disrespect the right phrase to use, Will. I just there's like it's like it's, there's nearly like an acceptance on behalf of the GA that oh Kerry and, and, and Antrim were knocked out so let's just forget about them and move on to the next six um, so yeah it is disrespect but I think it's just it's a lack of grand thinking as well we're trying to promote these counties so we should, we should be trying to give them as much airtime, TV time as much as we can to, to try and grab as many people in that county as possible you know because um, even I looked at the crowds and obviously Corrigan Park was, was relatively to capacity but down in Kerry it was a decent crowd but not what you'd, you'd hope for 
a prelim quarterfinal. You know, if the footballers are playing a prelim quarterfinal, you'd probably get a capacity crowd down there. Again, it's just the nature of what you're up against in that county. But look, the GA can do an awful lot more. Of course they can. They can do an awful lot more. The coverage of, of the games on GA Go was, I suppose, it was acceptable. You know, it, wasn't, it was nowhere near what you get on a, on a television game. It was acceptable. So It was a lot better than Westmead against Wexford. We'll chat to Derek McNicholas <laughs> yeah. about that a bit later. Like, I, that was he, was, he admitted he was frustrated. He got home that night and you score one of the most important goals of your career. Westmead have got this fantastic result. Feet up, Sunday game. This is going to be great. And next thing you look at it and you can't actually see what's happened. Yeah, and what, he was, was one even out Yeah, he was one of the lovely scores. You didn't get to see them. And was that even playing? Yeah. He, he couldn't believe. And I take this 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 point before we we play the interview with Derek a bit later that he was like he couldn't understand why Orti didn't just go to the Westmead stats team because the Westmead stats team actually shoot from the far side on a much lower angle on a camera. And yeah. they've got a great setup in Cusick Park because I've been chatting to a few of the guys that do the stuff for their stats. What they actually do after the game is they just plug out the SD card where it's all recorded and it goes into a kind of an external hard drive which is up in the press box and it's all downloaded onto a server where the managers can then pull down the video. So if you're, say, part of the Westmead management team, you could go home and the game is sitting there ready for you to watch. Mm-hmm. So they could easily have just sent that over to the Sunday game and had really good footage. So at least it was better than that scale. Yeah, I, you know it was. Yeah, I, I, I'd be quite interested to know as well what kind of viewership the two games obtained. And I, I, know, I know it's different because obviously the Sky is, is subscriptions. So that's it's your own choice. But the RTE is free to air, so the viewership is, is skewed to a much higher level. But I, I'd like to know, if possible, I don't know Kenya, what the two games actually garnered each, and then see was there actually you know a, a, an appetite for, to show that in television. It's hard to quantify again. And like these television, you know, the stations they're all. Aim, aiming towards broadcasting and viewership etc to, to maximise their own revenue which I understand when, mm. when you're paying such large sums for, for, uh, for rights etc but again look I, I know I sound like I'm repeating myself in a broken record and I keep saying it but the teams that like the likes the Antrims the Kerrys the Westmeads they need support and not just financial support but they need actual support, GEA support to, to get these games exposed and get a bit of traction and like because you can see obviously Kerry and Antrim they both made mistakes they both played, made mistakes that you'd expect of a team who just after coming out of a Joe McDonough they just played uh, a championship you could say that was uh, to a level that was sufficient to get them through and then they come up to Lee McCarthy so they need more exposure so that's why I, I'm still championing the fact that Kerry should be in should be in Munster and I, I keep saying it and Antrim should maintain in Leinster we should do more to include the Antrims and the Leishers etc yeah I think the minute Kerry win the John McDonough let them up just get rid of the playoff just get rid of it and let Kerry in for a season and see how two groups of six work it can be as easy as that and we'll see if they can get to a four consecutive final next year um, <clears throat> excuse me some of the questions that we have in from the Instagram which thankfully we have back thank you Meta for getting us back on the Instagram at the tail end of the week so we're able to throw up the old uh, stick in a question for Skehla Murphy uh, last night and there's plenty of them coming in so uh, this gives a roundabout way of even talking about the games from last weekend and to this weekend so you can have first shout in this one Murph so Evan who's a regular uh, Instagram messenger to us for the show is Conor Lahan the all-star 12 for this season he's got 19 points from play so far this year yeah well I think he has stiff competition from Shane O'Donnell at the moment um, it's a tough one Shane O'Donnell is obviously the GPA player in the month at the moment but like Lahan is flying it and again we picked our top five players um, a few weeks ago I I traded Shane O'Donnell for Lehan. Uh, probably felt a bit bad an hour after recording the podcast because it's such a hard decision but look I suppose to, to answer it in a way like we all know the way the All-Stars work like I mean if, if Shane O'Donnell and Conor Lehan play well enough both of them will be in the team um, okay one of them won't be at number 12 but the other will be somewhere else um, but Conor Lehan definitely yeah it has to be between the two the two of them at the moment um, it's, it's, it, again it's so hard to call between both of them is he would would the All Star Committee the way I'm looking at it would the All Star Committee pick him over Shane O'Donnell at the moment? 
Probably not. I'd say Shane O'Donnell just tips it at the moment. Um, and, and again, didn't light it up necessarily against against Limerick, but you know, obviously a very a very tough match. Um, but certainly, there's a lot of people that would agree with him. Yeah, that that Conorly Han is probably the all-star number 12 at the moment but I don't know the best way to answer that is look if both of them stay hurling the way they're hurling both of them will probably be in an all-star team mm-hmm. and they'll fit them in somewhere so if he is hoping for Connerly Hand to be in there they'll, they'll fit him in if he if he hurls well enough well, this is the classic one and probably what will happen depending of course on the results over this weekend and what happens in the semi-final and the final but if you're sitting down in an all-star committee right now what could easily happen would be Tony Kelly gets selected in midfield which allows you to get an extra forward into the six and then you could easily pick Lahan out of position on one, mm. the other wing or in 11 and then you put O'Donnell in or you move O'Donnell to centre half forward or you do something like that uh, to jig to get them in. It's happened so many times over the years where you get players who didn't even play in midfield and get picked there just so you yeah. can get an extra forward in. It's... Uh, I don't know. There's part of me that loves the tradition of actually having to make the hard call. And if yeah. you're sitting down in a group, Murph, and you had to go, you can have O'Donnell or Lahan, and you're going to have to face the consequence of leaving one of them out. Yeah, and I, I prefer that way as well. I just think, look, unfortunately, if three lads play well at left, left half forward, and then, you know, and that's it, but they don't really play anywhere else, Grant. You pick them at, they weren't 12 on their back for the whole year, pick one of them, and unfortunately, the other two lads just lose out. But that's, I'd rather that sort of a system and just make the hard calls. Like you're saying, if a lad is holding the fourth at centre forward, you know, let's say you have a Bonner Mar at centre forward who's doing hard work and he was the best centre forward all year, but then you're there going, you know, Jesus, I want to get, Joe Canning was playing full forward all year, but I want to get him into the team, and then Bonner Mar loses out to centre forward. You know, just using hypothetically mm-hmm. two players. I don't, I'm not a fan of that system. I just think, you know, make the hard call. You're on the All-Star Committee, make the hard call based on the players who played in the positions. Okay, well, it's Galway and Cork this weekend, uh, Skell, and there's plenty of feedback about Galway. So you can address all of it here that came in on the oh, YouTube no for last week. Um, <laughs> this is maybe get a, the, the temperature that's been in Galway since the Leinster final. So Sinead McLaughlin on the YouTube, very simple. No hope for Galway after that performance. Dreadful. Uh, left hand on top was in contact. Uh, slightly more nuanced. So I'll read this one out to you. Um, particularly like the fact that Paul apparently is very good and balanced. Don't know what yeah, that says brilliant. about Skell, but there you go. Uh, I do agree. Owen support F gave Kilkenny a few soft frees at the end but then gets into Galway so Galway could possibly have had Cooney, Fahey, Flynn all dismissed and Cohen uh, maybe if they had a lad sent off it might have been a kick up the behind that they needed during the game Galway were rash I thought and they were nearly too interested in silly tackles I thought with the few winning minor teams we have there'd be a few more fresh faces on the Galway team but I know it takes time sad and disappointing to see this going on with the handshake I know a lot of Kilkenny people were disappointed with this going on Cody knew the spotlight was on him and all it took was a quick handshake and move on and then Shane Leonard was also in contact said loves the podcast always good to hear I'm a Galway man and I'm going to be totally honest there were too many passengers on the Galway team quite simple centre back is a problem position McInerney has not played well since 2017 so keep that part in your mind first scale you can come back to that there are players still playing today that were playing 12 years ago uh, Monaghan should have been taken off after 20 minutes we only had Connor Whelan up front performing against KK Cahill Mannion one of our most gifted forwards in the half back line uh, needs to go back to the forwards Joe Cooney arguably the best half back in the county should be at number 6 wholesale changes are needed also Henry should have two outside selectors with him so a lot to unpack in Shane's comment there particularly uh, let's go back to McInerney uh, McInerney hasn't played well since the All-Ireland apparently you're after throwing an awful lot of me there now I know we can, we can go <laughs> we can go one after another here Skell this is the joy of a podcast right, you can address answer, all these comments I'll answer a section you give me the next part because I've on, forgotten an awful lot of stuff yeah, Mac, yeah, Mac, Mac and Ernie has not played well since 2017 so Mac had a standout year in 2017 and was actually given Sunday game hurler of the year that year so, like, if you're comparing that, I, look, at I know with some players, that they, they reproduce that form every single year, but you're talking about generation and greats, right? And Mac had a, 
standout year in 2017. He hasn't reached the farmers since 17. Fair enough, right? The man hasn't been cleaned. He hasn't been out-muscled. He hasn't been the cause of our defeats. You know, people aren't running down his channel. So I, I don't really buy that that, that Mac is not you know, the player of he was. He was. Of course, he didn't produce the performance he did. Um, but still, he's a fulcrum of that defence. And if I, the, the age-old question I'll ask these people, and I, I love saying to them when they ask me in person, this letter's playing, but right, I'll take him out. I'll take him out, sir. Who do you put in? So we take out Mac out of six. Tell me who you put in. And they'll say, that, that man just said, bring back Joseph Cooney. Fair enough, bring back Joseph Cooney. Who do you put in the forwards then? <laughs> you know, like, it's not as if we, we even embarrass him to riches. You know, we don't have that. We don't have a, a situation like you have in Limerick where you can, they have multiple all-stars. They just, they just, they're blessed with a certain core group at the minute that they can rejig their whole defence in their forwards and they don't miss a beat. Unfortunately, in Galway's situation, we just don't have that, right? So the clientele we have in these positions, we just need to stick with them. And to address another point about the minors, actually, I didn't remember a good bit of this, about the I'm minors. Most of it, uh, yeah, you're doing well. Yeah. I'm reading back here at the same time going, not I, bad. I think, in fairness, we did miss... Uh, minors, like, notoriously in Galway, we always have the most skillful hurlers. Like, in terms of skill base, we'll, we'll be up there with everyone. But it's just we're, we're missing a trick in our, in our condition. So, like, we've, we've lost a couple of guys over the last couple of years to say for some reason that they came through the 20 grades just weren't physically ready to step up to senior and it's a different grade nowadays like it's not like mm. it was where where you get away and just complete ability it's ability plus strength plus conditioning plus even maturity and i think a small part to play of this too was changing the minor to 17s and, and change 21s 20s for some reason I, I have this belief that like i came out of school at 17 went into college straight away and awful lot of kids nowadays are coming out at 19 and i think maybe cognitively they're small but they lack a bit of maturity and they lack a bit of you know grown upness if you want to call it that where so it's taken them a bit longer to get to the you know the pitch of senior hurling or the pitch of even life to deal with it all you know so i just think that's all contributed to it whereby when you go to 21 they, they move into it a bit sooner they've they move up a different grade a higher level of, of snc they've, they've moved on to college etc and you know they're they're more prepped for senior so i just think again we should go back to minor at 18 and twins at 21 but that's a different story um and then with regards to the performance, it's dreadful. Yeah, it was a dreadful performance. So, you know, we did we did some good things. We did an awful lot of bad things as well. Don't get me wrong. Um, systematically, we need to change things. We just need to. I know it's easy for me to say park all of that. Just park it all because it doesn't do you any good right now. All you have to do is focus on Cork, focus on how to take them down. I would, if I was the manager of Galway and the players, I would probably put maybe ten percent of my energy into Cork and put ninety percent into Galway. And just well, what are we going to do? And forget about them and just put your excuse the pun put your foot on the gas from the from the from the, from the word go let's say right uh, I couldn't week. think about the else no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I couldn't think about the else right put your foot in the gas from the off and implement your game plan straight away you know and do, be proactive in that sense do not stamp your foot kids you're like, like Graham Muldowell or saying uh, execute during the week now just one word you're not meant to say you just said it. that's now that is on the comparison. Gas. No, no what more. is it 15 podcast what, what are we on this week now will and he's 17 never, he's never used that term foot on the gas so yeah bad week maybe bad it was week. on purpose <laughs> <laughs> then that's right. the cccc now the only bit that you didn't address you remember nearly all of it was this idea that carl Mannion should be moving back up and that then put joe cooney into six yeah i, I just so carl Mannion is an extremely intelligent hurler and he's athletically gifted in terms of pace and fitness. His skill work is fantastic. So, like, when I'm listening out his attributes, I'm comparing him, I'm thinking, geez, he, like, in my mind, and I know he's, again, it's hard compared to this year because they haven't reached the heights, but he's got all the attributes of a Tony Kelly, a Keen Lynch, right? Hear me out now. Mm-hmm. Now, he hasn't got to the heights of Tony Kelly, and he hasn't probably got to the big game, I suppose, production that Tony Kelly's got to, but he's got all the attributes of those. And every time I see Keen Lynch play or Tony Kelly play, it's like I, I struggle to pinpoint where their position is. 
you know, like Tony Kelly, as I said, picked up ball and he's five and he's 12, he's 10, he's, like, he's all over the place, you know what I mean? And it's like he's given a license to roam where he feels he's most productive. I would, I would do the same with Cahill. I would just say, Cahill, go where you want because he's a smart guy. Get on the ball and just look for him. I feel like here, look for Tony Kelly all the time. And when they put a puck out down in a certain direction, I feel like Tony Kelly is arriving. Just, he's arriving when that ball is landing uh, uh, because he's, he's timed it himself. He's not, he's not overly structured. So that's the kind of license. I wouldn't dare put Cahill Mannion in corner forward. I just wouldn't because he's not... We don't get the full production of him. I would let him out around the middle third and say, do what you want, but do whatever you want and just go where you are. Because he does it for his club and he causes, he causes havoc for the club because you don't know where he's going to be and he's impossible to mark. And again, like he's so important to go away that if we're going to tick, if we're going to beat Cork, like if we beat Cork, I guarantee you uh, one of the top three performers, if not the best performer, will come for Colin Mannion. If he's not in the top three performers, we're going to show it against Cork. All right, let's talk about Cork and go with them, Murph, because last week Cork made the decision to bench Patrick Horgan. And this has been discussed so many times. It's almost been discussed as much as, is he breaking the record this week? Is he not breaking the record? Where we've had plenty of people message us saying, maybe the best thing to do is Cork hurl better without Horgan, have him on as an impact player to come in and he'll settle the ship and he's an incredibly dangerous player. Kingston made the decision last week to put him on the bench. How do you think Cork operated without him starting? Um, yeah, well, they hurled well in fairness, and and you know Tim Amani was inside in the corner forward position and basically set up the goal. You know he he won the ball, brought it through, took a heap of tackles, and it's something that we're we're seeing that Tim Amani provides that forward line. Like you know he makes the ball stick when it goes in, and uh, you know just Kieran Kingston has had to make a lot of tough decisions, no more than you know not playing Shane Kingston and different times, and so he has to make hard decisions. But look, I don't know. Like none of us see what happens behind closed doors when Cork are training. But to me, what it's just saying is that. In fairness, Kieran Kingston, I would say he's picking what he sees is the best team in training. Which, if any manager is doing that, you know you have to give him great respect because it's a hard thing to do, and it's a hard thing to say. You know, Patrick Horgan will put over the freeze all day, and that's an important thing for a team to be able to do. But if Kieran Kingston looks at it and goes, "Well, do you know what? Maybe we have enough lads like Conor Han and Seamus Harnady and Alan Connolly really going well." Um, that maybe we need someone in there who makes the ball stick and is maybe a little bit more unorthodox than Tim O'Mahony and is a bit more physical as well in terms of getting in, you know, it's basically putting a defender on a defender, you know. So he seems to have kind of made this call and the results were evident as well, you know. I mean, in fairness, like I said, for the goal, ball came in, Tim O'Mahony won it, took a few tackles and then kind of just shunted it on. Um, and we saw the impact he had in, in, in the Watford match as well. So what I would say about this is Kieran Kingston is obviously going, right, keeping this open-minded, you know, reputations out the window, I'm, I'm going to play the best team that I see in front of me. And that's, that's what he has to do. And I think all things considered, if you have a manager that's doing that, like that's, you know, that, that's a serious quality to have in a manager. So there's nothing to say the next day Patrick Horgan won't be starting, you know, because Patrick Horgan hasn't shown anything to say that, you know, he's completely off the boil and that he's not hurling well. He could very well be starting the next day. But I think Kieran Kingston is kind of, learn from every lesson he's had this year or maybe the last few years is constantly trying to adapt and he's learned something that maybe Tim O'Mahony makes this forward line tick a little bit more at the moment and you know what and far be it for me to say that Patrick Horgan maybe you know coming off the bench or maybe spending let's say the Antrim game on the bench and there's savage hunger in him this week mightn't light a small bit more of a fire and get his game back going because I think if you're a competitive player and you're a competitor and you want to develop you're always you know, you know, I suppose willing to, to to try and get that hunger back going again, and sometimes maybe not starting a game is enough to get that hunger going again. So, look, all I'll say is fair play to Kieran Kingston. Tough call to make, but I, I think he's just shown a lot of integrity and in sticking behind his decisions. 
Yeah, it's a huge call to decide not to put the top championship scorer of all time on the pitch against Galway in a quarterfinal this weekend, though. Like, Skell, a few weeks ago, our buddies over at No Plan B GA on Twitter had stuck up the work rate of the Cork forwards. And you could see that, like, when it comes to turnovers and when it was coming to just metres, uh, what's called a covered, Horgan was lower than some of the other players on the team. And therefore, when you've got players coming in that are maybe going to work harder as a unit, that potentially is a reason why mm-hmm. Cork's form has improved over the last few games. I'm not, not saying for a moment, by the way, that Horgan had anything to do with the slow starts in the first two games. But if you've got all these stats and you're on the management team with Cork right now, you've got to be looking at it and saying, right, we've brought these guys in, we've changed our forward pack around a little bit, and it's worked. Like The performances are much better now than they were in the first two games. Yeah, and I think Kieran Kingston's brief first and foremost to do what's best for the team and for Cork. You know, so he's to put any kind of personal relation or even you know statistics behind and just do what's best for Cork. And I think we, when you when you understand why Patrick Corgan is is the all time leading champion championship top scorer is because he's a shooter and get the ball to him, he'll shoot, he'll score. Like Bonner Maher is not the all time championship scorer, but I'd say if you look there in terms of tackle ratio and, and hooks and blocks for the time he's in it, like he, he's probably. His probably charts were, were, were or his probably statistics for that element was probably off the charts, you know. So like, every team has a balance. Every forward junior has a balance. You have your workers, you have your shooters, you know, and you've, you've got kind of got your hybrids, the guys who do both. So I think in it's just I think it's the nature of the beast, and where Cork found themselves at the start of the year, they found themselves kind of found wanting for for a battle up front, especially um, taking the bull by the horns. You could say against teams like Limerick, and, and especially against Limerick, you could say, and maybe just. Patrick was, was, was sacrificed, you know, and this had to be trialed. So I think if you're looking at teams, and every team nowadays operates off numbers, statistics, possession retention rate, uh, possessions lost, etc. And if the statistics are shown that a particular chart in the zone, or a particular area on the on the, on the heat map is the ball coming from there, or that the forward unit is breaking down, letting out too much ball, you have to do something different. You just need to do something different to change it up and see how it works. And in fairness to Cork, they've changed it up. And I do think, and we'll touch on it in a while, um, the introduction of Alan Connolly has changed him a bit I know he came on against Clare and actually the whole thing seems to have changed a bit for Cork I, that's just the way I feel like him at 14 with her, or across the full forward line he just seems to have added a bit of a bit of oomph about him you know a bit of aggression and a bit of bit of finishing power exactly as well but he can also do, do the work so I will if you were to ask me the question will uh, is Patrick Horgan going to start against Galway I have to say yes he will um, would I be delighted if he was off? I'd say yes. I'd be delighted if he's off <laughs> get your, because he needs a shooter. Um, get your best shooter off the pitch. I'll take that all day long. Um, and trying to trade that for, for a work rate unit. Um, like, again, it's such, it's so, we don't know what's going on in Cork. You know, maybe he even saved the player for himself. Maybe he's carrying a bit of an eagle. I have no clue. Do you know? mm-hmm. But like, I, I just struggle to think of a world where Cork are playing and Patrick Cork not at 15. I like there's two takeaways from that one I didn't even have to ask you the question about whether he should start this weekend which would have been my natural next question you just knew and secondly I'm loving the love that Bonner Mara is getting on this uh, chat this week he's uh, been you know injured so much over the last couple of years but still he's getting love from both Murphy and Scale on the pod this week absolutely Murph how do you see the game going then I mean this one to me is very very hard to call because a few weeks ago I would have thought Galway look in a better position than Cork Cork have put in two or three good performances now in a row and there's plenty of question marks about Galway coming out of the Leinster final now that's not to say that Galway can't turn around we've seen one week turnarounds with Wexford this year against Kilkenny Uh, there's no guarantee that Galway will be as bad as they were in the Leinster final and there's no guarantee that Cork are going to be as good as they were in the last two games in Munster 
Yeah, yeah, um, and, and I'd agree. Like, I, just something I was thinking about there when obviously James was feeling the whole Galway situation. Like, it's one game. It is the way I'm looking at it. Like, we were here two weeks ago talking about Kenny being flat after the Wexford game, going in against Galway. Probably going to be bet by five or six in terms of that was the narrative out there. Some people were saying, you know, Galway are favourites here and so on. After one game, now you know we're not talking about Kenny this week or Anton. They're in the semi-final. And kind of, you know, suddenly everybody is an expert as to where Galway are going wrong. Galway were one of the most consistent teams this year, yeah, um, up until one game. Um, and even, you know, Henry said it after the game of it's very hard to put your finger on where it went wrong. Sometimes that just happens. But you definitely don't overhaul the whole thing by doing that. You know, Cahill Mannion was um, out, yeah, he was around the half back line. Mikey Butler went to follow him. But they put him back in, you know, the full forward line after about 30 minutes, I'd say, and went back that direction as well. Galway just didn't take on the day and that was it. What way do I see it going against Cork? I think Cork will come into this game, um, obviously they're in a good place at the moment and maybe they're thinking, listen, Galway are after coming off, you know, an Leinster final where they were flat and maybe have a few questions. Let's not give them time to answer those questions. Let's hit the ground running here and throw absolutely everything at them. Um, from Galway's point of view, I think, I, I'm potentially thinking the likes of Davy Burke might come into it. Now, I don't know if Davy Burke is carrying a niggler anthem, but when he came on the last day, you know, you could see the fire in him. You could see that he was there. He was getting involved. You know, there was Kenny, Paddy Deegan went down with an injury at some stage. He was grabbing him by the jersey and trying to pick him up off the ground, kind of Andy Smith style back in around 2012 or that. Like, get, just getting involved, you know. Maybe that was something Galway were missing. Um, in, in, in the last game so I think the likes of Kilkenny brought in Conor Fogarty the last day you know a reliable player you know will break up play get on the ball you know won't fear anyone I think Galway the next day will potentially bring in Davy Burke into the middle of the field and you know reintroduce that, 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 that kind of hardy player into the middle a reliable player who you know will I suppose run as long as he can on the pitch and you might take him off after 45 or 50 minutes but I think that's what Galway you might see them going back to I'd have no fear over Gerard McInerney at centre back, um, and behind him, one of the best defenders you know there's been in in, in Dahi Burke. So really, look, I think the overall way I see the game going, Cork are going to hit the ground running from the start. Galway will have questions to answer, and there won't be time for Galway to, I suppose, to ease themselves into this game. But uh, would I write off Galway? Absolutely not. I give Galway a huge chance in this game because uh, the potential with Cork over the last few years has been that. When they go into a game as favourites, they sometimes maybe take their eye off the ball a small bit. If they take their eye off the ball a small bit, aren't at the pitch of the game, and you leave that door open for Galway, Galway could come out of traps at 100 miles an hour, and before you know it, Conor Whelan's after hanging the ball up in the net, you're a little bit rattled, you're on the back foot, and now you're suddenly the team that's you know that's fighting against the game getting away from you. So what I would say overall with this one it's a lot I know Cork are probably the favourites going into this off the back of the Leinster final but I think Galway have a huge chance in this game and I think if Galway come out and in the first 10-15 minutes rattle Cork which I think they're well capable of doing and I think Henry will have them ready for that well then suddenly it's a completely different game and if, if Galway come out of this game winning it we're going into an All-Ireland semi-final where people are going brilliant this is a Galway team that can challenge Limerick that can challenge whoever comes in front of him and I think that's the way we're talking so I wouldn't get too carried away with the one game Galway had I think this game is a lot tighter and I think like I said if Galway ask questions of Cork it could be it could be a tough day for a Cork but look Cork are in a good position and it's it's a little bit in their hands at the moment as to what they bring
Yeah, be prepared, both of you, by the way, for Cork supporters who probably midway through the Munster Championship are going to say, Scale and Murphy wrote us off earlier this year and here we are now back in an All-Ireland semi-finals. Just be prepared for that. Quarter-final as well. Let's not get carried away. Quarter-final. Well, let's know what I mean if they win. If they win, it'll be next week they'll come to you. If they get knocked down a quarter-final, you probably won't hear a whole lot from them. Particularly Scale won't hear anything if Galway have beaten them. They'll hear from me. Yeah, there you go. It'll be Scale getting the Twitter machine ready at the weekend full time. He'll have his draft ready. But when it comes to your confidence in Galway now scale into this weekend has it been shaken any up by Crow Park last week or are you still confident that Galway can brush that to one side and put in a big show against Cork and Thurles yeah, this, this actually sounds a bit strange because when, when I was coming into the Leinster final like I know we, we came through round robin but that was still kind of sh- round robins can be treated as a bit of shadow boxing you know you don't really get a true test it's not really a true knockout game and I know the Leinster final wasn't either however I was a bit nervous with Kilkenny because I know what they bring and I was saying Jesus will we be up for the fight that's that's the question I had will we be up for the fight and it transpired we were up for the fight but we weren't up for a smart fight um, so I'm thinking this week now that our analysis team have had two weeks to review the Kilkenny game regardless of opposition they'd have looked at our own puck out looked at our own our own tackling and said right we need to tailor our sessions to suit which I think they've done and I'd say then they're going to come out all guns blazing. So I'm expecting, I don't have a crystal ball in front of me, but I'm telling you what I'm expecting. I'm expect, expecting a ferociously physical Galway, which I think they'll bring. I'm expecting them to put the shackles on Connor Lehan, or should I say, try to put the shackles on Connor Lehan via a Parik Mannion or a Darren Morrissey. And I'm expecting them to go, again, full court press from, from the from the corner of our position back. So that's what I, I'm, I, I'm a bit more, I suppose, confident. I'm a bit more uh, encouraged by what we saw against Kikini, let's say that they've had time to review it. Yes, they got that bad performance out of their way. They've had chance to t- time to analyse it and tr- now try to fix it. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to Saturday. I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to bring because they've been forewarned. I put that way, yeah. They've been bloody well forewarned against Kikini, and if they show up the way they did against Kikini, they'll be out the, out the gate again. And I'll be having my tail between my legs <laughs> after ranking them number three a couple of weeks back. But again, I'm, I'm as a guy, man. I'm expecting and I'm hoping they come out how I how I think they will, which is all guns blazing, and uh, hit them as hard as they can. What I well, I'll just throw in on that now yeah. as well. Sorry, just to say, like I think there's two ways you could you could enter this, and I think the way the Galway are entering at the moment is they would be disappointed the players how they performed in Leinster final, and there's two different ways they could have lost that match. One, they could have performed really really well and still lost the match, and you're kind of questioning yourself after going. Jeez, do we have any more? Like, I mean, we performed really well, but we didn't win. But they just didn't perform on the day. So, like, the you know, the autopsy afterwards will be that we didn't perform well. Henry will be saying to the boys, listen, lads, we're going to have 15 players the next day. It's up to you to grab a jersey. And the 15 players that are going out are going to be the lads who work really hard and are going to do a job for us in the next game. Whenever they name that team on Thursday or Friday night before the game, the 15 lads who get the jerseys are going to be absolutely, first of all, delighted, but they're going to be determined that... You know, I'm not going to let down the side. I'm going to perform. I'm not going to let it be a situation of what happened in Leinster final. And that's why I'm thinking that Galway are actually going to explode into this game because the 15 players get the jersey are going to want to rectify what happened in the Leinster final and are going yeah. to be, you know, full of hunger, full of aggression. And that's why I see Galway bursting out of the traps. So if, if Galway had actually hurled savagely well against Kilkenny and lost... I think they'd be going into this with a lack, a little bit of dent in the confidence and a little bit unsure, but they're not. They're disappointed at the moment how they performed in Leinster final. So I actually think they're going to come out and say, well, well, let's show all the lads who doubted us what we're about. And that's why I think it's really dangerous for Cork because I just think, like, I wouldn't like to have Dahi Burke's back up, Gerard McInerney's back up, Conor Whelan. I wouldn't like them lads going out angry because, and again, like I said, I think Davy Burke will be involved. 
I think it's it's made for Galway to go out here and, and quieten a lot of people if they hurl well. And that's where I think Galway are coming from. I promise, by the way, I'm not on commission from No Plan B GA or the GA performance process, as they are called on Twitter, but they, they reacted to something Skella was talking about on the podcast last week about Galway's slow puck out and the retention weight on the puck out. Look, it's nice to get the stats to back up what Skella was talking about. Um, so Galway had 30 puck outs against Kilkenny. Uh, they only won 16 of them, so it was a win rate of 53%. But perhaps more crucially, when they went into Kilkenny's half, Galway only won nine of the 23 long puck outs that they hit. So they retained the ones within their own half, but crucially as well Kilkenny when they pushed up on that Galway puck out and caused some hassle Kilkenny managed to get seven shots directly from Galway puck outs coming to their players and they scored four points from it so again that just goes to show scale the puck out has to improve this week it has to because it was overly structured the week previous in the Leinster final so you could actually read it and I'd say more if you were in the Kilkenny defence that day you'd look at it and you'd nearly know where the puck out was coming and yeah. you can structure your defence accordingly. Yeah. What we want, if I'm training a team and say, I want a defence to be on the back foot, I want it to be guessing the whole time, and I want to give them as little amount of time to react to something we're doing to them. And what happens in that game was Kikini had loads of time. They knew where the ball was coming, they set themselves up, they were in the positions where they wanted to be, and they were first on arrival. That was the big thing. And I couldn't understand watching the game live why our midfielders were so deep towards their own goal and they were second on arrival. The Kikini midfielders were arriving first. So that's just a recipe for disaster because you're going to lose at least two-thirds of the ball in front of you all the time. And if you if you have a guy who's first on arrival and he's in black and amber jersey, it's coming straight back to you again down to your own defence. So the, the puck out has to be fixed. Um, you get the numbers there. You said 30 puck outs. You well, said. I just counted dots here, Scale, as well, perhaps even more crucially, right? So on the left-hand side, and there was one who went, to, oh, went out over the sideline, but the others were generally dropped into what would be the left wing forward position, generally, yeah. is probably the fair yeah, way of putting yeah. it, right? So when the ball dropped over there, 18 went over to that side, if you want to call that like a third of the pitch. That is no variety about it at all. Like there's the right wing back position, the right side of midfield, pretty much no puckouts went there whatsoever. So Kilkenny yeah. had to know that the overload was coming on that side every time. And it goes off the time as well. So I, I could see the goalie because I do it myself. Like you go through your phases, your progression phases, you see who's first open. And if you look, you look down the pitch straight away as far as you can. Can I get a man down as far as I can the pitch? And you work your way back. As fast as you can, you work your way back. And I can see Aina doing that. And the next thing, it stops. And when you get, when you get past the seven and eight seconds mark, you know then it's going to 12. <laughs> you know? And mm. that's a killer. That's an absolute killer. So like I, I, I can watch the game and I look at Aina. He's going, right, nothing in the half-forward lane. Nothing in midfield. Nothing in half-back lane. Shit. Okay, let's go to 12. Does that become the kind of percentage puck out then, Skell? That's your kind of, right, I've no other options, so I'm going to lump at that end and hope that we win something. I think first. so. I'd say it's a question of clientele too. I'd say he's probably looking at Joseph Cooney and Conor Cooney and say, hey, skip over there, let's in Keane and Fahey. Three of our, mm. our three biggest players, you could say, in the forward unit. Um, I don't think he's going to go down with a high one on top of Tom Mann unless he's got a few yards of space in front of him. I don't think he's going to go short to midfield because that's generally crowded out by the opposition half-forward line. He doesn't have the distance to go above the half-back line or beyond them, should I say. So it's like that your 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 default ball is the twelve. Um, the way you counteract that is everyone switches on from the, the second the ball goes dead, you switch on. Look for it. You engage every Kikini lad, and you get the ball out within six seven seconds. Very easy for me to sit here in the podcast and say that. But trust me, in practice, it's very difficult when you come up against a team the quality of Kikini who set themselves. Kikini are probably the best at it in terms of over the years of you know position themselves in such a perfect position that you can't get shots off and you, they're forced to go long. Limerick are excellent at the moment too. So it's not a simple fix, but it just needs varieties of things. So you have to you have to be a cock defender and you have to be as as confused as possible. You know what I mean? And, and you have to have as little time to react as possible and create a situation on Saturday like was created when Limerick played them in the Ireland final last year. They didn't know where to go, the quarterbacks, mm. and it just opened up gap after gap after gap and sucked the life out of them early. That's what Galway have to replicate.
Okay, so that's the first game of two at Semple Stadium on Saturday, one forty-five throwing. It's followed at quarter four by Clare against Wexford. This one's intriguing, Murph, because right now we have to assume that Duggan and Hayes are not available because we don't know what's going to happen with the appeal later in the week. So anyone who's listening, this is going out Monday at 7pm and the YouTube is going out Tuesday at 10. We don't know at this stage whether there's going to be any change in the situation. Assuming that the two of them are missing, how much of a golden opportunity does this become for Wexford? Yeah, it, it does become a good opportunity in terms of it's, it's definitely leaning towards Wexford a bit more now. But I still think Clare have... They're in a much better place again, like you know. Not, sorry, not after this. I mean, they're still in a better place than Wexford. Um, I think there's a savage siege mentality happening in the Clare panel, probably rightfully so in many ways. You know, as in they just seem to be, get dealt. Um, what in their camp would be perceived as, as as raw deals, you know, certainly for them looking outwards, going, you know, we, we seem to get very little breaks in terms of what's happening off the pitch. Um, and I think, look, Clare are just, we talked about momentum, and it's something I've mentioned a few weeks there, just Clare have this momentum at the moment, and I think they have a, a, their crosshair set on an all Ireland semi final at the moment. Um, they've hadn't had time to think really after the Munster final. They're just going back, facing into this game, and I think they're just going to keep the momentum up. I think they still have enough to beat Wexford because again, Wexford, Wexford's system is really good at the moment. Um, as in, it's coming back. What we saw against Kilkenny was good, but it, that's if you play into it. I don't think Clare are going to play into that system. They're brilliant to carry in the ball. You know, they're going to be playing through Tony Kelly, who's going to be running mad angles around the pi- around the pitch. So if they drop back a sweeper, that doesn't really matter because Tony Kelly is still going to be running around, popping up with his few scores. And I think. What Brian Lowen will be saying to the players this week now is, look, you know, we're not going to get any favours here. We're not going to get any turns. You know, I'm not saying that Brian Lowen is down there saying everyone's out to get us, but certainly the players will be savage to get into an All-Ireland semi-final. And, you know, as we're saying, we don't know if Rory Hayes or Peter Duggan are back on for, for them this weekend, but they'll be saying to get those lads into an All-Ireland semi-final. And whatever players, I think to do with the players to come in and replace them, that'll do a job because... Clare's system at the moment is really good. It just seems to be that every player seems to understand what their job is. And more importantly, if you're replacing that with another player, that player knows what to do. The player knows the role of the left half forward or the right half back. Or, and that just seems to be savage work rate and work the ball up the pitch. So I still think Clare for this one, for me, are favourites. And the one reason, well, the two reasons I'd say it is they have momentum. And, you know, Wexford are kind of relying heavily enough on... Uh, their system at the moment in the hope that a, a team will knock down long balls on them and that they'll work it out Clare don't do that Clare work the ball up really well as far as midfield half forward and start popping over scores from there so for me at the moment momentum is still with Clare and even without uh, Peter Duggan and Rory Hayes I still think they have too much for Wexford In a way Skell it's an easy team talk for Clare because you turn around and you say everyone's out to get us that's why the two lads aren't playing so you guys are going to have to go out there and stick it to everybody and then on top of that, if you're Brian Lone, you're probably saying, championship this year, we have not been beaten inside 70 minutes. Let's go back and try and get another shot at Limerick again. Yeah. Like, he's trying to find the right balance of focusing on the positives. And the positives is exactly what Marsh says, that they've momentum and they've momentum for the right reasons because they're all on the same page. They're producing good performances. Um, in the Cine can look at Tony Kelly and say, he's carrying them. I, I, I don't buy that. I think it's a good balance. Like, they, they defend well. Their keeper's good. You know they create an awful lot up front themselves, like so they've they've kind of everything off them really, and there's the only negative they have is they have to be Limerick. That's all, you know. But everything else is, is looking good for them. And then Lohan, like who of all people you want to develop a siege mentality and develop a follow me attitude to Lohan, like that's the way he played. Like I've said in the podcast numerous times, the way he played fullback was was always of the inspirational kind that he was just coming man ball and all, and if you were in the way, you were getting out of the way. That's the size of it. And I, I get the feeling that even when I went down to look at the 
the Clare Waterford game when you're talking talking to some supporters and even the, the Clare FM people it's like that he has them all where he wants them he has the players where he wants them the board club Clare the supporters club and, and the players and they're all coming behind him and he's, he's leading the way so I can imagine in the restroom now and he's creating the exact same speech as you're after mentioning there with a couple of notes that these people are all against us and let's just blow everyone out of the way us against them and that might play right into them I think that the way Clare's year has gone so far and the way even you look at social media and the way their supporters are behind the team that'll all create a lovely little hysteria for the game at the weekend and I think Wexford like they're going to be stern opposition that's for sure but like Clare I think have this feel feel that the train is rolling everyone hop on and if you're in the way you're going to get blown out of the way and I, I expect Clare I, I, I do I, I, you might, I might swallow my words come Monday morning but I do expect Clare to win by 6 or 7 Okay, well Clare have had a good record in recent years against Wexford and another kind of small factor on it here is that Clare have played regularly at Semple Stadium this summer so the venue should well suit them uh, going back there again uh, well Wexford haven't had as much game time in there at all um, Just a few kind of Instagram comments around this game which will give us a way of talking around it too uh, Michael O'Leary uh, was saying Murph on Instagram if Wexford were to be Clare are they the type of team that could stick it to Limerick in the final? They re- he reckons Wexford will beat Kilkenny in the semi-final. Now, oh, park, park that bit to one side, right? Because that's only going to cause controversy. But if Wexford were to beat Clare, and you give me an argument here for Wexford beating Clare even, do you think Wexford are a team that could give Limerick a good run in a semi-final? No, I don't think so, to be honest. Um, like, Wexford, um, they, like, they could beat Clare, but like... I know it sounds nearly contradictory to say it. Like, yeah, they could potentially go out and maybe beat Clare, but they couldn't beat Limerick. I know lads would say, well, sure, Jesus, Clare, you know, stuck it to Limerick in, in 70 minutes, but... A Wexford beat Limerick in the league? Yeah. Way back yeah, when now, admittedly. Yeah, way back when, but they haven't shown us that, you know, you know, they, they drifted away from that completely towards the end of the league. Yeah, like, again, the league, league conditions are completely different to championship as well. Like, we've played... Many a match where we've played in a ma- against a team in the league, and it's in January or February, March, April, whatever it is, and you know, big heavy pitch, heavy ball that plays into the hands of, I suppose, the underdog because you can drag it into a bit of a dogfight. This is this is going to be completely different. You meet Limerick and Crow Park, I, you know, Wexford can go toe to toe with them for a while, but I don't think they would be able to provide the same threats that Clare could provide. You know, we're saying that Wexford could be Clare this weekend because they're missing two really important players and it's bringing Clare back towards Wexford a little bit. So that's the reason Wexford could beat them. But if Peter Duggan and Rory Hayes are on the pitch this weekend, you know, I think Clare win fairly handy. It's just that this is a small bit of an upset to Clare going into the game to restructure two really, really good players. That's the reason Wexford might. But I still don't fancy Wexford to beat Clare. If they do, if they somehow get over them, I, I think Limerick beat them well um, when they played them in Crow Park because, you know, any team that wants to beat Limerick, you have a better chance out of Crow Park again because the wide open space of Crow Park is a, is a killer for playing against Limerick. They'll, I mean, they'll potentially steamroll any team in Crow Park that they play for the rest of the championship. There, there's a potential there with any team that I they agree. could do that. Yeah. Um, so I don't think Wexford, I don't think that suits them. I think if Wexford played them maybe in Semple Stadium, they maybe have a little bit more of a chance. And this is not getting into pitch dimensions or anything like that. But Crow Park and Limerick is a completely different uh, gauntlet to Turles and Clare missing two of their best players. Completely different thing. So, no, if uh, for me now, and it's no offence to Wexford, I don't think they're in a position to go and overturn Limerick at the moment. But uh, you ask me that about any other team at the moment, there's very few teams who I think are in a position to go over and overturn Limerick. 
be a gauntlet and a half if you were to beat Clare, Kilkenny and Limerick to win in All-Ireland. So if uh, Wexford were to, say, repeat 1996, that would be some run from them if they were to do so. Um, I'm going to give S. Faulkner two uh, from the Instagram here. First of all, shout out to Big Tom Lynch, who obviously must be a friend of his, leaving Vietnam today, swapping all Asian titles for All-Ireland. So there you go. And the question from S. Faulkner 95, I'll give this to you, Skell. Will Clare fade away, possibly, after putting everything into the Munster final and still losing? Like, there is that possibility of an emotional hangover as much as the tiredness from the Limerick game. You know, to go toe-to-toe with the All-Ireland champions and then lose an extra time. Is there that possibility that Clare are a little bit off it when it comes into this game against Wexford at the weekend? No, I think actually their, their biggest obstacle at the moment is to get over the distraction of the, the two lads getting potentially suspended. Once you parked it up, like, everything else is pointing to their stock rising. Um, they've put in a fantastic year so far. They've put, like, put up to the Ireland champions uh, who like are we, we think head and shoulders above the rest so they have perfect reason to be to be happy about with their year so far will they fade away they've no reason to I can't see why they would unless they encounter happy injuries and next thing the whole the morale just drops but like, I can't see that happening um, I can see no reason why they don't go down on Saturday and truthfully speaking blitz Wexford yes they're missing two of their best players but like Murph was saying they seem to have a, a panel developed and they'll bring in two fellas who will slot in and they continue as business as usual I'd imagine um, I'd be inter- if, I think a key thing for players like Tony Kelly has got to be fit like, he just has to be fit and he has to be buzzing for them to, to, to produce the kind of performance against Limerick on a, on a day-to-day basis um, if he's fit I, I give Clare every chance you know, all the time fading away that's a bit strong of a term hmm. like will their, will, the, will their performance dip possibly yeah absolutely their performance could dip like the thing is now we'll expect we expect Limerick to produce uh, a level of performance that they do they do produce every day to be honest uh, repetitively and they do in fairness and now we've looked at looked at Clare and they've played Limerick twice and they've produced a supreme performance in home ground I might say and now we're saying to Clare right we're expecting them to produce that again on, in Thurles on Saturday that mightn't happen you see that might not happen they mightn't get the the, the, the huge support and the, the whole hysteria around it all it mightn't become such a spectacle like it was two weeks ago it just mightn't happen they might actually have to grind this one out so be it and then you go, if, if you come through Wexford and you go up to Kilkenny to play them or go up to Crow Park to play Kilkenny that's a dogfight no matter what happens I don't care what any happens those devils are just <laughs> they'll dogfight Clare all the time to say and Kilkenny have a good history against Clare you know um, so again that's a, that's a tough one so I don't see them steamrolling anybody I don't see them replicating uh, the, the heights of the Limerick performance every day and again, I'm open to correction here. They could, um, but like, and then if you're if you're to ask me the question, well, who's going to be there in the final right now? I'd have to say Limerick and Clare. <laughs> oh, look, look at him, right? So Evan yeah. Ronan was also in contact on Instagram. Easy question: Who's going to get to the All Ireland final? Well, you've got Scales' answer there. I'm also going Clare and Limerick. Murph, can you argue against those two right now on current form? Uh, so basically you're asking me how do I argue Kilkenny against Kilkenny yes yeah. no, I'm interested to hear this now I want to hear this <laughs> well see I was actually thinking about it during the week as I said this, this conversation is coming down the line if our predictions are right this conversation <laughs> oh. is now what I will say actually just sit, back, we'll in, sit back there yeah. Go on. What I <laughs> I'm ready for this is going into about the last one just about the hangover with Clare I actually don't think there's a hangover with Clare I think the only thing after the Munster final would be a physical fatigue they've had two weeks which is fine I actually think their stock has risen since the Munster final like often you'd have two teams let's say in the Munster final and let's say you have Tipperary and Waterford we'll use two neutral teams Tipperary and Waterford go in and they're both evenly keeled and Watford lose for it, let's say, and suddenly now they're going, oh, geez, we're after losing. It's a knock of the confidence. Like, 
Clare's stock is after rising after the Munster final again. I mean, their support, their support couldn't be prouder of them after after a Munster final. Confidence they, again, they almost turned over the All Ireland champions, and the All Ireland champions were on great form that day. Like they had Seamus Flanagan absolutely flying it. They had great performances all over the pitch. So they didn't even play a bad like or a flat Limerick team. They hurled really well. I think the only thing I don't think there's a hangover. I think the only thing would be maybe a little bit of physical fatigue if they're carrying a few knocks, and that's it. But in terms of emotion or anything. I think, you know, they're still mad for road. They're still looking forward. They're, they're hungry for any challenge. So that's just, you know, my two cents on the whole hangover. But how could I argue for a Kilkenny-Limerick final, let's say? And again, we're just, we're after writing off all the other teams, Galway or Cork or whoever could potentially play Limerick here. But let's say it's Limerick in the final. How do Kilkenny get there? Here we go. The one thing I was thinking about during the week was that Again, let's say Clare win the weekend, which I think Clare will win. Clare are going to be hotly tipped going into this, and we'll be picking holes into why Kilkenny aren't going to win this and the matchups and why they can't. The one thing I would say, and from being on the pitch with Kilkenny and being off it, Kilkenny are well able in one match to get their matchups so right that it just completely grinds a team to a halt and just get over the line. And the example I use was, when was the last time Limerick lost in All-Ireland or lost in the Championship? We we played against uh, Cork, or sorry, yeah, Cork in the quarter final in 2013 or 2019. You know, just got over the line. Cork were poor. We weren't great. But people were going into that semi-final going, like, yeah, well, well done to Kilkenny. Even our own supporters were saying it. Well done to Kilkenny. I, by the way, openly on the radio, tipped against you in both games. Yeah, Very. yeah. But it was understandable. Like, mm. I mean, completely understandable. We weren't showing huge form going into it. But one targeted match where you picked out who was going with who, literally down to that, who was following who, what's your jobs, bring it into a dogfight and see from there. And again, the other side of it is, Limerick will have been on the road for a few weeks. So again, I'm talking about that physical fatigue again, or sorry, Claire should I say, will have been on the road for a few weeks, so there's physical fatigue. So that's where I'm saying Kilkenny's opening is. And like Kilkenny will be happy enough going into that semi-final if it is to be a Kilkenny-Claire semi-final, because obviously there is a few permutations there that, that could play out. Um, Kilkenny will go into that kind of underdogs maybe not expecting to win it the, the, the Clare bandwagon is going to be up and running that'll I can tell you from the Kilkenny boys perspective absolutely love that that's petrol to the bonfire they love it is it 100% sure they win it no absolutely not but I could very much picture us coming out of Crow Park that weekend me busting to do a podcast that evening because I'd love to talk to Skehill my wife I won't work absolutely yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) I won't be working no that's the only reason I'm saying it like I wouldn't be going now if you know Claire let's say Claire be wet for the weekend I wouldn't be going ah sure that's us that's us done Kilkenny there's no way we're going to beat them I think Kilkenny have a few cards to play there that all it has to do is work for the day against Claire and that's all they'll be focused on and there's potential to turn them over that's all I'm saying there's a lot can happen between now and then so from my point of view look I know the Kilkenny attitude will be we're happy to be in all earnest in the final give us whoever and we'll go and play it so I, I'm, I'm happy enough for Kilkenny are sitting at the moment I think provisionally on this day two weeks uh, we're going to Limerick for um, an outside broadcast so I'm already looking forward to some of this being played back to us if uh, anything changes in these two quarterfinals at the weekend but they're both going to be great uh, they're both on RTE this coming Saturday so you've got Go against Cork 1.45 on Saturday and then you've got the 3.45 start for Clare against Wexford we've also got the two All-Ireland minor hurling semi-finals I want both of you to think about who your best young hurler in the senior championship has been this year too because that's going to be a question we answer in a moment but we'll look a few years before that to the minors um, we'll hear in a second from Leo O'Connor the Offaly manager who's been speaking about what Limerick did which I thought was quite interesting lads because he, he's managed 
pretty much all of the current Limerick senior team. It's remarkable how they all seem to come through in two or three waves, one after another. So he's involved in managing Kyle Hayes, uh, Declan Hannan, Graham Mulcahy. He was involved in the production line, basically, in Limerick for about 10 years. He's been involved with Offaly for the last four, and they've been to two Leinster finals in that period. Won one, lost one. Uh, won their first Leinster minor in 22 years. They've had a month now off before playing against Clare. That sample stadium, half past seven on Friday because the GA don't like putting minor games in before seniors since it's gone back to under 17. So we've got two standalone fixtures. But before we hear from uh, Leo about what Limerick did to turn things around scale, you're going to be involved as your Mayor Forna or you'll be your Mayor Ishka or whatever bib they can give you for this weekend at the Gaelic Grounds. Tipperary against Galway, two o'clock on Sunday afternoon. What kind of shape are Galway in having come through this round robin now to play a tip team who haven't played for a month going into this? Yeah, I suppose they haven't played for a month, but they're 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 quite a seasoned team. You say at minor stage they played, they came through a good monster stage. They they produced a good, uh, I suppose, a, a hard stop and final you could say against Clare, which uh, so they're battle hardened. That's the first thing. They've had time to recuperate injuries. I don't think they've had the issue with uh, with football as we've had in Galway. Um, obviously some of our guys are playing the minor football as well and were playing yesterday against Dublin so it's tricky trying trying to find a balance in that perspective Is that a really hard balance to find Scal? because last night I don't know if you heard it so the Twitter spaces was on um, I'm sure we'll get dragged into this in a few weeks time when the hurling gets into the business end uh, for us to be guests on the show but uh, Di Regan was on talking about the hurling from the weekend and almost the start of the pod, he announced that he was leaving the club team Shamrocks that he's involved with because he felt that there was too much of a pull for players who were playing dual to be doing more with the footballers than they were doing with the hurlers. Has that been a difficult pull at minor level or is there a um, good balance in Galway between the two panels? I think there's a good balance in fairness. I think, let like I say, between Fergal Healy and Anglin, they've come to good terms and they seem to have a good structure in place. But you always have to be conscious of the workload. of the. Of the and I, I was going to say child, that's what they are. You know, mm. they're, they're under 18, like they're kids. Some of them are actually doing the junior cert, you know, so it's not as if we're talking about seasoned adults here. So you have to be very mindful of them uh, on a personal level that you don't actually burn them out by playing them week on week and, and then you have to manage their training loads, etc. Like, I'm not involved in that kind of side of things, but I do see the challenges that, that, that it, can, it can present at club level as well from, from our own perspective. So I think we've managed that okay. The guys have managed it all right. Um, and look, it's going to be a big test, like... Tip are strong. They've scored a lot of goals. They've conceded no goals. Like so, it's mm-hmm. going to be a massive test for for our lads. Um, they seem to be more physical team than us. So it's just going to be a battle. Uh, look, it's what you want them lads to be doing. They want you want them to to be down to the Gaelic grounds and go down to Turles and these grounds and taking on the big counties and, and develop them because that's what it's all about. It's lovely to win Ireland and we'd love to do it. Great for them lads, but you want them to be able to get as much exposure to big games, big grounds, and then develop them on to the next stage where we can produce them at under twenty and then ultimately. Go back to your man's question earlier on. Get them into senior in the fastest method possible. So that's that's the name of the game. Yeah, it's uh, the junior star point is one that came up when I was chatting to Leo O'Connor yesterday on the radio. That you kind of it's funny how once upon a time the minor became an issue because you were trying to schedule it. So there were games before the leaving cert and after the leaving cert, and now it's the junior cert. And he was saying that he is, I think it's six of his panel are sitting a junior cert exam in the afternoon on Friday and then they get their gear bag and they go to Thurlis to play a game at half past seven yeah. which is far from ideal but he was saying look it's one of those where it works out nicely for uh, both sets of supporters in their case where Clare have got their senior quarter final on Saturday 
and Offaly have got a Talton Cup semi-final on Sunday and it would have been terrible if the fixture had been on either day and supporters had to pick it's easy enough for them to go to Semple on Friday night there'll probably be four or five thousand you would think going to the game and it should create a nice little atmosphere for that All-Ireland semi-final we can hear from Leo O'Connor now because when I was speaking to him I asked him about what Limerick had done because by his own admission Limerick were at a pretty low ebb when they put in their hurling plan just over 10 years ago uh, to try and develop elite hurlers. And this was his explanation of what Limerick did and where he feels awfully are by comparison right now. It's not about any one individual. There was Jerry Hegarty was involved, Shane Fitzgibbon, Mike, Mike Galligan, Frankie Card, all guys that played hurling with Limerick over the years. And then you have Joe McKenna, <laughs> ironically a man from Shane Rowan, Barn Reard and Shane Rowan Offaly. That's, that's fronting the whole thing now. Um, so from that point of view, it's absolutely, it's imperative you know, and that's what we did in Limerick. We met it. We met it that Saturday mornings was underage development squad from eight o'clock in the Saturday morning to one o'clock in the day, and that's how we developed them. We only looked for five hours off of the county board in Oak, um, and just made that made that crystal clear. This is what we want. They they're going forty eight weeks of the year. They're four weeks off, and it, it's it's so important from the strength and conditioning point of view, and how to develop how you develop an ethos. We had a big battle in Limerick because the system was the rugby at the time. Um, and look, Limerick has been consistently there now for the last five, six years. And like, we didn't win a minor. Ironically, we didn't win a minor, but we contested all our minor semi finals in 2013, 2014, 15. We were beaten in the Munster final. So we started getting players off of these teams. We won a Munster in 21 in 2011. And it all filtered through over a period of time when they get to 18, 19 years of age. They, they're number one, they're physically strong enough at that stage, some of them were to come through. And then, you know, we've late developers and that it all helps and you'll always get that. So once you have a core base of players coming through the three or four every year off a team, that's what Limerick is based around now. Not to look at any individuals within the system, but just in a, in a very general sense, like two finals out of three years in Leinster for this uh, group of Offaly minors that have been coming through, compared to, say, where Limerick were at, and like you're saying it was probably Limerick coming from a low enough ebb, but then having to build on a consistent basis over a series of years, how far is Offaly set up now away from maybe where Limerick would have been when it started to bear some fruit? First and foremost, well, you look, you've just got to look now, and as you said, where, where Offaly are now. It's going to take probably five, six years before these lads are going to be fully physically developed, right? The, the, the training conditions that these guys now are trained under below faithful leads, it's a credit to the Offaly County Board. It's first class, like the only other performance-based um, facility that I know that can compare to Offaly is UL and Limerick. And I'm sure there are others around the country. I know there's, there's Belong Carlo, Belong Cork and all these places. But if you look at it on a consistent basis, Offaly have the facilities now. They have the four fields outside in, outside in Kilcormac, outside in Faithful Fields. They're, they're the best in Ireland, bar none. You have the, the front field out there, you can compare it to Crow Park. Right? It's full size, everything. It, it's just a matter now of being patient and getting these guys, filtering these guys through. And as I said, over the next three, four years, a lot of what, what has come through over the last three years will make their way onto a senior panel. And then it develops from there because they're coming from a winning ethos. It's not the, it's not the fact that they're, winning, that they're winning Leinster finals or anything like that now. It's just a matter of being consistent, get the leadership skills into them as well, and just let them develop and let them develop naturally with, along with the help of the strength and conditioning. And everything has been put in place. In fairness, the Offaly County Board, is, no stone has been left unturned, be it, be it last year on the 20 football level or this year minor hurling level. 
the, the stepping stones are there and it's just a matter of being patient and hopefully we'll get back up to where they, where they long to be. So that was Leo O'Connor about what happened in Limerick. Um, it seems in a way very modest, but also when you see other people replying to it compared to some counties, the idea of having five hours of contact with the players per development panel each week and they trained for 48 weeks was a big leap forward from what Limerick had been doing previously. And you can uh, see when it comes to strength and conditioning and the type of hurlers that are there currently on their senior panel, it had a big impact. So that was Leo O'Connor uh, chatting ahead of their game this week and also um, probably peeling back the curtain a little bit of what Limerick have done previously. When it comes to young hurlers, lads, before we hear from Derek McNicholas about Westmead's year, Cahill Mack 79 was in contact on Instagram. Who would be their best young player of the championship so far? So I've drawn the parameters for you off air on this because otherwise we could get into a mess where we go under 20s, minor, working out the kind of Raheem Sterling, Trent Alexander-Arnold, 23, 24. They're lads who could fit in there in a fuzzy way of being young hurler. We're picking probably a young player. Can I throw the parameter that they're probably around under 22, first couple of years in championship, and we'll do it based on their senior championship this year. Is that fair? Yeah, well, yeah, that's fine. Right, go on. Yeah. Murph, do you want to go first? Who are you nominating? Uh, I'll, I'll go Cahill O'Neill for Limerick. Um, okay. Again, I suppose, look, we've, we've been talking about the performances there of Seamus Flanagan the last day and, you know, Dermot Burns and all these lads. But, you know, he, he's a lad who's been trying to find his feet within a really, look, an exceptional Limerick team. And he's a young man, you know. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see him at the you know, at the under-20 grade um, because, you know, I think we would have really seen the difference and the depth uh, of, of, of of his talents at that stage. But, um, look, really good player. Um, has has also then had to fill in or attempt to fill the boots of Keen Lynch and now no one is expecting him to do it. But basically, hurl centre-forward in, in a Limerick team. And I think John Kiley looks at the centre-forward position the same way he looks at centre-back position. And Declan Hannon has been holding that down and is a leader there. So for Colin O'Neill to step in there and has done a really good job, you know, I, I, I'd be really happy with what he's done. He puts he puts in a really good shift when he's out there. Again, I think we're going to just see a lot more from him as he physically develops because, you know, you're still developing as a player at his age. And, uh, you know, I think he's put in a really good shift. Other years, maybe we've looked and, you know, we, we have really obvious players who are hanging up goals every week and all these different things and outstanding performances. But I just think for the role he's had to do in that Limerick team uh, for this year, um, and again, in, in, in the Clare game, you know, popped up a few times as well. It's I just think he's he's had a good year. So my one so far for this year, anyway, is Cahill O'Neill Limerick. Who are you going for, Skell? Yeah, that, that's a fair that's a fair point by, by Paul, I say. And I, I was just looking at kind of a different... Aspects. I went for Alan Connolly in Cork. Uh, I mentioned him earlier, and I was saying, you know, what kind of influence would, would the, did the young fella have on the team? And I just think back at the Clare game. Yes, it, you could say that they were dead and buried, but he popped up with a couple of goals, gave them a bit of life, and he seems to have, at his young age, he seems to have hardened them a small bit. And you consider that he produced a good performance down in Walsh Park against Waterford, and it's like he's now operating at at, at a set full forward position. So he's he's like their guy. Um, so I have to I have to go with him because he, he was thrust into a unit, and this is the, this is the reason I went for him. Carl O'Neill, yes, he was thrust into a position whereby he was, quote-unquote, filling the boots of Keeler Lynch, but he was thrust into a unit that was highly functional at a very good level with, with fantastic clientele around him and a great management team, you could say. So that, that's, he was kind of put on the front foot, if you like. You know, so he, was, so he was given every opportunity to thrive. Whereas Alan Connolly, with respect, was put into kind of a dysfunctioning unit. They had got off to a bad start. He was operating in a very tough position in the full forward line with players around him who weren't exactly producing the goods that they were expected to produce and uh, and then he's kind of made the position his own. So I'm, I'm going with him and I think let's say again I, I know I mentioned Hoggy earlier on let's say for goal to stop and I think it'll be a good battle I'd say Dahi 
or would be in on top of Alan Connolly or vice versa and uh, you, you need to do well to shackle him down these days yeah no, it could be a really good battle this weekend right lads that's almost where I take my leave of you because we're going to bring in Derek McNicholas now because full disclosure recorded the interview a bit earlier today um, because he just had a bit of a break in work to do so tell me about this gal Davy Glennon did you know what his nickname was before this chat comes up what was David Glenn's nickname? <laughs> well, we, we have a few nicknames from now, right? Right, go on. But we could have given him 20 nicknames. <laughs> so it, it could have been Anton for his off-the-field antics. It could have been for his on-the-field uh, on the, on the field antics. It could have been for his his fashion sense or his, uh, his spending right. attributes. Do, do, you want, do you want to know his Westmead nickname then? It's Louis Vuitton. <laughs> yeah, I have no issue with that. <laughs> I have no issue with that. I can see the reasons why. Apparently, great, there, was, apparently there, was, game, yeah. there was a team bonding holiday last week and they went to Edinburgh and most lads had you know, their gear bag or their rucksack over their back. Full Louis Vuitton uh, was David Glennon's way of travel. Well, I'll tell you one thing. We went to, he, he came on my stag five years ago, right? Nice. And uh, so we went back to, was that the second day or third day of the stag? Actually, I can't remember. But anyways, there was a few bags left over and the publican rang me and said, we'll take away these bags. One of them was David's anyway. And I opened his wash bag. I swear to God, it was worth 500 euro. Like, <laughs> not, not the bag, the contents of the bag. I looked in and went, Jesus, that's, that's some expensive stuff he's got in there. <laughs> Needless to say, I never get back to him. <laughs> I still have it. <laughs> it's fair, fair to say he's got bags to match what's inside them now at the moment by the sounds of it. I, I have a feeling with all of this kind of slander of David Glennon, we'll probably have to get him on uh, one of these weeks uh, to maybe defend himself against Kel, but we'll see how we go. Lads, thanks a million for joining us on uh, episode 17. Looking forward to chatting you after the quarterfinals next Monday. Sounds lads. Cheers, Right, so that was Kel and Murphy. This is the conversation I had with Derek McNicholas a little bit earlier today, uh, where we started by talking about the fact that he's been playing for the Westmead senior hurling team since his minor year of 2004. Yeah, it's been a long road, I suppose, to, to being in Division 1 in the league and being in Lee McCarthy in the same year for, for next year, I suppose, is, is exciting for, for Westmead people. Um, but yeah, it's a long time since 2004. I was still a minor. I was telling you earlier on, I actually wasn't even meant to be on the panel that first day. I was still playing minor, I think, the day before. And I actually think I was out the night before and I was just brought as in to make up a few numbers and I eventually been thrown on in the, in the Leafs game and I actually think I got a goal. So I was, I was kept on from there. Right, how did that happen then? We have to go right back to the outset then. How does it get that yeah. you're on the minor panel where generally you should be allowed to enjoy yourself after playing for the minors and next thing you're on the pitch against Leash? What happened? I think it was Mick Cosgrove. Uh, he was our club manager at the time and he was mad to get me into the senior, get up to the senior pace, get onto the senior team as well, the club team. And he just, he nabbed me on a Sunday morning and he goes, we're going to Port Leash as well if a game on. He said, just putting you on the panel, that kind of twisted me arm. I said, yeah, right, I'll, I'll come and just see what it's like. And I was sitting there and half of the second half, I seen him waving me down. I was like, oh, no, you're not serious. So I came on anyway. Uh, I didn't even know who, I think it was Barry Kendi at the time I replaced and uh, managed to get me hand with the ball and score a goal. And we we're beaten in the end, but that was the kind of, that was the start to, to being in the senior setup. What's the key to the longevity then? Because if you stick around for next year, and you probably have to have a think about that now, and you're adapting to a different role coming off the bench for some of the games now, as opposed to being a nailed-on starter within the team. So that decision probably has to be made at the end of this year. But if you stay around for what will be heading into your 20th year, you missed a couple along the way when you were away, but you know, you're still going to bank up into a 19 season if you play next season. What keeps you motivated and going, Derek, when you're going into, you're what, 38 later this year? Uh, no, I'm 37, 37 in August, yeah, uh, September. No, I tell you, it's it's. Uh, I just train him at the highest level possible. Yes, it's great training my club, but I just can't. 
I can't lose that that itch of going in and, and training at the highest level. You know what I mean? And you know, playing at the top of, of whatever, you know, go as far as I can in, in, in I said playing college hurling as well is the very same. That kind of I'm back to college late, I think it was twenty six when I back to college and I played four years since given. And I felt that that kind of that time has given me the space now to push on because I'm relatively injury free and I said playing at a high level coming into me early thirties and I was still Mark and I remember Mark and Barry Nash and I was thirty one and he was whatever twenty three or four and hurling really well again and, and Mark and all these Groot Hegarty played you well in the first round of the pits and like Mark Tom Morrissey all these boys and I was really you know on top of my game flying I, I just injury free I suppose and and just that that kept, that has kept me refreshed and I suppose injection of having to work that little bit harder, everything changes, I suppose, diet changes, training-wise changes, you know, you're not training as, as heavy as the other guys are training, you're doing different different bits away from everything, but just trying to keep it fresh, and I suppose that that hunger to, to play at the top, top level, you know, for as long as you can. Yeah, sometimes look, that drive and enjoyment keeps people going. Like I'm thinking of Ross Munley, Niall McNamee in the football right now, who were around about roughly as long as you. I think they both made their debuts in 2003 and they're still kicking football at championship level right now. Like it takes a remarkable drive to keep going. But that obviously would indicate to me that, you know, you wouldn't be able to walk away easily from this Westmead panel. And look, there's been a few other lads like that. I'm thinking of Owen Price just retiring uh, the year before last and mm. Brendan Murtha retired and then went into your backroom team and came back and played again. There's a fairly long established feeling of lads staying around for a long time in this Westmead hurling panel yeah for sure like it's I said it's it's uh, playing at the highest level and I suppose I was unlucky not to win a few club championships and if I probably did that might have drove, drove me back to the club I suppose and, and kind of kept driving that on but the club was kind of through a transition year over the last few years and and I suppose you know not winning a few club championships that has kept me you know I need to be at, be as competitive as I can and the only place to be, to be that is, is within county and even this year, I wasn't even sure what I was doing. I said I had a chat with Joe Fortune. Uh, he rang me a few times and a few times, and I was thinking about it, thinking about it. I was telling you earlier, I met Nigel McNamee, and we heading away uh, back in November, December this year, and I met him on a plane. He was going to Paris. I was going away on my honeymoon. And uh, he says, are you going again? And I said, are you going again? I says, you, I will if you will, sort of thing. We were having a laugh with Joe because we're relatively the same age, and he's a bit older than me. But that's that was um, that's kind of why, you know, just it's, playing at that top level it's hard to hard to switch off from that mm, well look awfully footballers still need Niall Mack to me top scorer in the Talton Cup right now so if you could mm. please go back in next year just to ensure that he keeps that uh, promise that he going. made that'd be great I mean I'd be happy both of you playing next year but it'd be great if uh, you could lock Niall in to play for uh, next season too um, like when it comes to this year like as you mentioned the, the great thing is going into next season for Westmead you're in Division 1 of the Hurling League and you're going to be in the top flight. You get to play in the Leinster Senior Championship again next season and it'll be the Keogh Cup getting swapped for the Welsh Cup to try and prepare for those big matches next year. Like, you've had a few flirts with Division 1 over the last years. It's been difficult. Like, I remember two years ago, um, there was a really good performance in the midst of it, but there were difficult games against Limerick and against Cork and against these teams who went on to All-Ireland Finals. But was it a good learning experience to actually play in Division 1 when you were there? It was brilliant. That's that's where you need to be playing. Um, I said, no disrespect to any teams in Division Two, but like coming into Leinster Championship, we played Division Two. We, we got a couple. We lost a couple of games. As I said, there was a hangover from last year from the league. We, we really felt that least game. Uh, we should have we should have won that game. Uh, I know Iron got sent off, but, and it was overturned. But that game really, you know, really hurt us, and we could you could sense it in in the first few games of the league. Uh, as well as the Keogh Cup, we weren't invited into the Walsh Cup. Was you know was a little bit disappointing. Um, 
So we went and won the Kyoto Cup and it says the start of the league was a little stop start. We got beaten twice and that famous shut the door and the management thing, it wasn't that at all. It was the players literally going, lads, seriously, we need to raise our standards here. Wipe what happened next year. Let's go and win Division 2 and prepare for Leinster because we need to be in Division 1 next year if this team is going to kind of keep keeping up the ladder, I suppose. And that's that's where it's, yeah, if you're not playing at the top level, you, you know, you're, you're, you're hurling that little bit slower. You have that little bit more time with the ball and as listen, as you mentioned earlier, Michael Fenley's conversation was saying that you know he thinks he thinks playing the Division Two, maybe or Division Three or whatever, playing that little bit slower so you can break three players in. I don't agree with that at all. I think you need to be playing at the top level in all competitions. You know, for Westmead to, to kind of make a claim, I suppose, and 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 get up the ladder and and take on the, the Wexfords, Kilkenny's, Dublin's, and, and beat them. You know, that's that's what I've been thinking about that. And I would think it probably depends a little bit on the age profile of the team too. Like your Westmead side right now, it's got to a point now where there are a lot of um, very exciting young lads who are coming through, but now they're in their mid-20s and they're ready for yeah. this challenge and trying to bring the hurling to the next level. Like we're no longer talking about you know, Niall O'Brien being a youngster or the Doyles. They now have got plenty of championship experience. And all right, there's some lads coming through, like say Jack Gillen, who's had a really good year this year. But generally, like your team are getting to that age profile now where... I suppose you need to test yourself against the very best if the level is going to come up for Westmead. Definitely, like Jogger and Angus and Robbie and all these guys, they're in their 29 now, so they're hitting their 30 next year. So, like, we've kind of gone through the grove, up, down, up, down, and now we're in Division 1, now we're in Lee McCarthy, and we really need to, next year, you need to take, we keep talking about this scalp, but we need to beat one of these teams. We need to beat Dublin. And I genuinely believe this year, I think it took us two or three games to get up to the pace. By the time Wexford came around, we really found our feet in the Leinster Championship and, and kind of were starting to get up to the pace. Kenny, 35, 40, 50 minutes, we are kind of, you know, trying to reach the pace. Galway was just go to Pierce Stadium. It's kind of was a whitewash. We were really disappointed with that performance and it was sort of draw a line to us, get ready for the dubs. And I really think we let ourselves down again, Dublin. We didn't get going at all. And I said, come Wexford, we were we were up at the pace and, um, you know, I think next year you, you should be looking at beating, beating the Wexford, beating Kilkenny, beating Dublin. That's, that's real, realistic targets coming out of Division 1. You need to be eyeballing them. So. Did Wexford feel like a scalp? I know it was a draw as opposed to a win, but like even just looking at the scenes afterwards and after you scored your goal, it felt like a massive championship night. And like there was all the romance around it too. And even Joe was mentioned afterwards that there was a joy of Westmead supporters coming onto the pitch and looking for autographs from you guys and all those kind of nice scenes afterwards, which felt like a really, really meaningful result. Like I look back through Westmead results over the last 20, 30 years. And for me, like obviously the McDonough Cup finals mean more and the Christie Ring to actually get silverware. But that Wexford result, like going up against a Tier 1 county who were provincial champions back in 2019, it's probably right up there with what Westmead did against Galway in the mid-80s in the league. Definitely. Uh, I wasn't even meant to play that day. I kind of had hurt my leg earlier in the week and I was kind of looking at Leash, maybe just hold out. And as the game went on, Joe kind of looked up and he goes, have you got a few minutes in? And I said, I have, because the crowd was, you know, the hair standing back, your neck, but the crowd it was going. And... Um, it, it did feel like a, you know, it did feel like that. So it was a strange, I suppose. We won, we we drew that game and we were on a high, but yet we had a massive job coming down the line against Leash the week after. And I suppose coming back into training, I was just kind of reiterating, like we have no God-given right to get down to Port Leash anyway. You know, you know, more or less overconfident because we we have been beaten there most times. I mean, I think we won the 2018. That was the last time we won down there. So it was sort of a from such a high to come back down to to earth to to push. There was a sport, 
a major confidence there that we says, you know, we're after Wexford are one of the fittest teams in, in Ireland at the minute. And I suppose to match them for 70 minutes and still, you know, get the last score of the game to, to draw it, I suppose, that gave us massive confidence that time. Yeah, because I think it was re- it was really important because early in the championship you played really well against Kilkenny and everyone was probably watching the halftime score and thinking, geez, Westmead are right in this. And then Kilkenny wheeled out some of their big guns like TJ coming on and they got the result. And it's kind of a pat on the back. Well done, Westmead, for playing well for a period of the game. Against Dublin, you ran them right up till about six or seven minutes to go and had that one quite close and nearly got the result. To actually, you know, get to level pegging with Wexford at the end of that game has to feel like something really significant, that it wasn't a case of, you know, the patronising conversation, which was, ah, Westmead hurled well for an hour, but weren't there mm. at the end. To actually be there right at the end and to get a result and to get that point up on the board must have meant an awful lot to you as a group. It was massive. Uh, and then you saw Vicky Kenny, we were so disappointed at that game. We were, can you see the scoreline? We were kind of going, that didn't reflect what happened on the field. We, we really thought 45, I think Cormac was sent off in the 50th minute or so. And then, I suppose our bodies were tired. We were kind of trying to run in lads to, to kind of, you know, TJ come on and he wanted to get his name as his first game back, I suppose. And there was other young lads coming in off the bench and they were mad to four holes in us more or less. They wanted goals, goals. And I suppose they ran in a couple of couple of goals and that kind of killed the scoreline. But the Dublin game was, was the Galway game, as I said, was a bit of a whitewash. It was, it's, a, it's hard to even, you know, get down to Pierce Stadium. You need to be on top of your game to, to really, you know, push them up there. And I suppose we lost a couple of guys, a couple of injuries as well. And, you know, having 20 or 30 lads at the same level, it's, it's, it's really hard for a team like Westmead when there's only eight you know, senior teams in, in the championship. And, and I think it's seven or eight of, of, the, of the intermediates. But just strength and depth of the panel just probably wasn't able to do You're playing the same 22 or three lads all the time. And, and I suppose come down to Pierce Stadium when you're under pressure it's 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 really hard to, to even you know win your own ball I suppose Galway are physically very strong as well and um, Dublin I said that was the one that really you know lads were, were really annoyed after that game I remember Killian coming in and kicking the helmet he was he was raging because he really wanted to you know get a result there and I suppose we did we thought you know Dublin was the one that we were in Moningar you know on a, on a wet day I says this really suits us and we kind of just didn't push you know we didn't push where we should have, you know, we should have, you know, put the foot in the throw, killing it in for a goal. I think he hit a wide, and that was a three or four minutes ago, and we were right in the game. So that was really disappointing, I suppose. Then Wexford, we had two weeks prepared for Wexford, and, and we really, really prepared for that. Um, we we kind of we didn't look at leash. We said we go flat out for for Wexford and, and get up, you know, be at that pace. Don't rest anyone. Everyone wanted to play. They wanted to be, you know, playing against the best teams. And I suppose it was a massive night in the end that, that we got the got the point. I suppose. That and that, that focus, Derek, is a hard thing to do because, you know, when the fixtures came out, your eye is naturally drawn to what's the point that Leach and Westmead are going to play each other because, you know, realistically, the expectation would be that the other four teams are competing for three spots and that the result between Leach and Westmead is probably going to determine who's going to be relegated mm-hmm. as long as Kerry don't win the Joe McDonough. So naturally, when you see that as the last fixture, you're thinking that almost feels like a relegation playoff set up beforehand. And even with your point against Wexford, going down to play against Leash was effectively a relegation playoff. You still to avoid defeat to uh, stay in the Leinster Championship for next year but genuinely I get the feeling that you guys weren't thinking that that was the only fixture that mattered you were actually targeting trying to get results in the other fixtures too definitely we we, I, I, we didn't even look Joe just was game one of five game two of five game three we never thought about Leash we never looked at that game until the week of that game that's the way we approached this and we really thought we, we had three games in one guy and we said we can definitely you know we can definitely get a result here somewhere and we were 
you know, really focused. But I said, coming out of Division Two, if we, I reckon, if we had Division One league behind us, we definitely would be up to the pace for for Kenny. You know, the fitness would have been up for for Division One for Lee McCarthy, and that's I suppose that's kind of where we were at a small disadvantage coming into Lee McCarthy. That that's but Leash didn't come into our thoughts until that week of that game. We played Wexford next Tuesday night. Was it was all for Leash and. And get, getting a result there. And then we were supposed to be in good confidence, but not being over cocky at all, because we had no right to leash a, a super team and really hard betting leash. Um, but that, that's that's when the focus came to leash was the week of that game. And how good you were in a more park that day too, when like everything was on the line for survival for next season. And like something that really out to me too is that you know Niall Mitchell took his chances and went for goal that day. I remember mm. uh, watching the league final against Down, and Niall was almost being too kind and being uh, yeah. too generous in what he was doing. He was trying to flick the ball off to other players and give them chances, but he was so clinical. Like even I, I think of his first goal, which he just bombed in from distance, that he had one thought, and that was to go for goal. And there was a real kind of clinical edge about you in Port Leash that night. Yeah, we we do always say to Mitchell, will you just get ticked and take lads on and take your own score because he's huge. He's a huge man and he's unbelievable skill. So, like when you're seeing him taking his scores and, and like that just shows he, his confidence is up. He, I kind of was saying to Joe Fortune, like if we put Mitch in the edge of the square, I don't think believe there's a back in each that can hold him when he's when he's confidence because he's such a physically big man and I suppose he very two goals that day again Leash and when he's playing well we generally play well and win so um, but yeah there was a real focus for that game um, the forwards we were getting scores like we were scoring 118, 119, 120 again the Wexfords Kikennies you know goal, I think we hit 22 points or 23 points so we knew we could score and goals win games at the end of the day and I suppose um, Owen Keyes came in that day and done really well he's powerful he's very fast when he gets the ball and, and his job was he wins the ball, just run direct at them because there's only one way to stop him and it's take him down. And, and he was strong enough to, to get in there a couple of goals that day. And um, yeah, it turned out to be a comfortable victory, but by no means was it half time. We kind of just says, let's get in. You know, we're going again. It was a huge win that day and we went in at half time. I think we're pint up. We just says, let's start strong. Let's put them on the back straight away and, and press every all end of all in his because you know how clinical he is from his pockets. So, that was the plan. Close down everything, and and I suppose the management team's plan really worked that day, and, and the lads, you know, executed brilliantly. Were you sick the night of the Sunday game after the Wexford game? Because I think you scored, like I say, one of the most significant goals of your career. You're thinking, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to rewatch this now in the TV. And next thing you realise that the camera seems to be a camcorder from the 1980s, uh, which is zoomed out. I think you would have had a better view standing on the roof of Dunn Stores uh, than the actual TV camera. I'd love to say I saw your goal against Wexford, but the camera was out so far, I barely saw it. I think I saw the reaction after the goal went in. So I remember the radio commentary more than actually seeing it on TV. Was it frustrating to, to see that beautiful footage had not been captured of this lovely moment for Westmead and for you personally? Yeah, it was. To be fair, it was it was it was unfortunate because there was a lot of really good scores shown on the Sunday game that evening, but you couldn't see them. I think Kevin Regan came on and got a super behind, and and Davy and got a super behind. Nyla Bryan was brilliant that day, but uh, you couldn't see anything. It's a bit they didn't contact us me because we get the analysis obviously after the game to, to do our own kind of bit of work on, and we have a really good camera from the other side, the stand side. And it's just a pity the Sunday game didn't use that that side of the video because you could have seen everything very clearly and. I said it was the, the video was horrendous. I don't know where it came from or, or whose it was, but yeah, it was disappointing not to be able to show that off for that picture for that 
you know that result as it was yeah it's, it's a pity because like i kind of always say it's about hurling like there's such a great opportunity to showcase like fantastic games because I, I watched a few of the joe mcdonough matches this year and particularly antrim against offley their first game in the uh joe mcdonough was remarkable just a really really good game a tit for tat goals flying in all over the place late goals for both teams in injury time and antrim just get over the line at the end uh, then i watched the offley against kerry game which was a complete and utter score fest and like the final was really really entertaining too and I'm just yeah. thinking. I'm just thinking, Derek. Like you've played in the Joe McDonough a bit in recent years. Like if this product gets a little bit more promotion, there's really good matches to watch here. Brilliant, yeah. And what I said, I watched the Joe McDonough, and it was it was Kerry and Antrim really went at us, and there was no didn't look like there was much tactics. It was sort of you know fifteen and fifteen, and let's let's go at this sort of thing. And yeah, there's been brilliant games through the Joe McDonough, and it, it probably doesn't get deserve you know some of the the, the recognition that that, sh- that should I guess should get like, like so. Even the Christy Ring, there's you know, there's really good teams. Them them you have to realise them teams are training as hard, if not more, than, than any of the top teams. So I really do believe that just, you know, without them teams, GA is is really at nothing. You know, you can't just focus on this five or six big teams. You have to give the Nicky Rattard and the Lori Mars and Christy Ring, they have to get a bit of, you know, television coverage because I said, you know, they're training. I'm doing the Lee Madden through the GPA and I'll be talking to loud hurlers and they're they're training flat out, you know what I mean? And they're watching their diet. You know, nothing changes from, from whatever competition you're in. So I definitely think, you know, a bit more coverage of them, them games should, should definitely be on, on the GA's agenda. Yeah, look, I think particularly maybe hurling was a bit too quiet about itself for a while, but um, football basically before it even happened when the Talton Cup came in we're worried mm-hmm. about this becoming Tommy Murphy 2.0 so as a result it was like yeah. this has to get coverage so therefore RT get locked into the semi-final and the final and Crow Park is guaranteed and then GA go are showing matches because they're really worried if it's not promoted in year one it might fall kind of the tiers were accepted in hurling and, and naturally look there has to be tiers because of the difference yeah. between the teams but as a result you kind of one year TG Carr showing the McDonough Cup final RT showed it this year there's very little streaming outside of say the odd game and that might be down to a, a county board finding an arrangement to show it I think it should get equal footing with the Talton where the Talton were able to show Joseph on GA go and like even middle of the week just gone by it took I think until Tuesday afternoon, or was it, it might have been even Wednesday afternoon, when the decision was made that GA Go were going to show both of the preliminary quarterfinals. Like, to me, that's madness, that you're into the last eight in the country. The two teams in Kerry and Antrim's case have, you know, they deserve their place in the preliminary quarterfinal because they've just yeah. come through the McDonough. And you don't know if these games are going to be shown or not. Like, Antrim gave um, a really good showing, particularly in the first half against Cork at the weekend, but no coverage for it, really, or very late decisions yeah. to actually show it. Yeah, I was following him on Twitter and, and like Corrigan Park's a really, really hard place to go and get a result because, you know, they really they really make you work up there to, to get any sort of result. So, yeah, look, and I suppose they missed the, they didn't put Kerry and Antrim one, you know, captains into the into the launch of the, of the challenge as well, which is probably, you know, a really, that the, the lads, I'm sure, and Kerry and Antrim use that as a bit of ammunition, to, you know, for these teams to quite, let's go and get a result here. And it would have been brilliant to see one of them turn them over to see, you know, would the GA put their hands up and go, okay, we got this wrong, you know, we should have, you know, should have invited them lads in. They should have been in, absolutely. There's no way should they have missed that, that, that GA launch because they're absolutely a part of the championship and, and they definitely should have been showing coverage of that game on, on live TV because, you know, the older generation in Antrim and Kerry, like they don't know how to work apps sometimes and, you know what I mean, there's a big question over that and I suppose Guy taking you know, a lot of games that, you know, Mayo and Kildare in the football, for example, because my parents with Mayo and they, they didn't see the game because they don't have Sky and small bits like that, you know, it's a, it's not going to affect you out and I suppose it's frustration. 
but they can only show so many. But I suppose you know having our, our Irish channels, I suppose should should probably guess the bulk of them games definitely. Yeah, I think as a hurling fan, it's, it's the one thing that GA have done very badly, probably since its inception, is trying to promote hurling outside the core group of counties who are incredibly successful. Like, we're happy to sit down, we watch, say, the Munster Championship and tight games and excitement. And don't get me wrong, I love the Munster final, which we saw yeah. a few weeks ago. And I, I can't wait for the quarterfinals, semifinals and final coming up. But there should be something to try and promote the game outside of there. And it's as you say, it's a small thing. Like, you bring Antrim along, let them bring the Joe McDonough Cup for the photos, bring Kerry along. They've had a great achievement getting to the final this year and you know, pulling it out of the fire in the last round of the group stage. Bring them along. Don't have it that Kerry have to win a playoff to get into Munster if they win the Joe McDonough. Don't create yeah. these kind of artificial yeah. things that are stopping the promotion of the game outside of these core counties. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for a carrier definitely stuck in a, in a really hard position there because I think if they, if they won they were playing Tipperary as a mm-hmm. quarter final or something so that in itself is, is a massive you know a massive task they should be invited straight into Munster in my eyes if, if they win the John McDonough you know win that competition so but yeah look that's that's suppose that's not going to be sorted here this evening it's a fight that's going to continue I presume over the next few years to, to get these teams recognition and I, and I suppose but the G are waiting for one of one of us. So the Antrim, the leash is starting beating the Wexford, the Dublins, and, and I suppose get put into that into the top table is what they say. So I suppose that's that's in our hands now to to, to do that, and and that's probably what Westmead are going to aim at next year is is beating one of them big teams. I'm looping around here slightly, but you mentioned at the very outset the uh, story that's now probably grown legs about the idea that the management stood out and allowed you guys to have a talk in the middle of Division 2A and it, it looked like maybe promotion might be beyond you at that point. Was that just a case of kind of leaders in the dressing room deciding, Derek, it was like, we're not going where we, where we want right now and we need to bring our performance level up and that conversation needs to be player-led? Yeah, definitely. It was by no means any anything got to do with management, anything got to do with anything. It was literally the standard of, of the players wasn't good enough. Like we had gym programs, we had nutrition, we had to follow nutrition, video analysis, and there was none that happened. And I I, I definitely think it was a hangover from, from the league last year. There was a sort of, a, lads were kind of sulking that we, we were back in Division 2 again and we had to go and try to beat all these teams again to get up to Division 1. So, yeah, it was absolutely a player standards was, was not good enough. And I suppose five or six of the senior players spoke that day and we all made an agreement leaving the dressing room that we were going to get back to what we were doing last year. Um, we don't like we don't like mention last year when there's a fresh management team in, but it, it it was definitely more evident that we were doing more work last year on our own and with groups and you know group leaders were, were on top of stuff and that just had fallen off a small bit and we probably blamed that for for losing a couple of games although down were really good Kerry were really good or Carlo were really good when they beat us so it wasn't that wasn't an excuse it was just we had to raise our standards and if we wanted to get out of Division Two we had one opportunity to do that. Um, and that was beat Kerry the next day and, and or Kildare sorry and we done that you know we really pushed on that game then we carry it home and I suppose get out of Division 2 was the biggest thing and that final I wasn't one bit nervous I, I felt the team were in a really good position going into that th- that game um, all the pressure was probably in down because I think they were doing a lot of talking about you know the, the magic of down playing the big teams and we never said a word we just wanted to get out there and, and do our job and in fairness to down to start really strong, but then Davy crashed home a goal, and that kind of from there, I don't think we ever looked back. You know, we we pushed on and uh, we ran out easy enough in the end. But I said if that if that's down, if we bet down that day, I don't think we would have we would have won that uh, in the middle of the, in the middle of the league. If we beat down that day, I don't think we would have won the league. We would have just kind of married through the through the league without you know pushing ourselves. Um, and I think that defeat was was kind of the final moment of the league. 
When it comes to Davy Glennon, I was at the game in Thurles and I had the stream open on the laptop in front of me and the goal, particularly his first one, the one that he shoots across goal, which is like remarkable how he gets the ball out of his stance and has the wrist work to be able to flick it back over into the far top corner. I had to get the stream open on TG Carrot to have another look just to see how good the finish actually was. Like he adds that kind of remarkable quality that is there from like the amount of years he played for Galway and playing on a panel that won an All-Ireland title. What an injection of a player to get into your panel over the last few years. Yeah, he's been brilliant. He's a, he's a really li- uh, likeable character as well. Like we were a few of us away last weekend with him and, and you know, he, he blends in with a lot of us. I, I met him at uh, Leinster, that uh, Super 11s. So I'm, I knew him coming in, I suppose, and he kinda, I was drawn to him straight away. So we've got our banter together. But yeah, look, he's, he's an outrageous cut off his backhand. But when he, he gets really massive power into shots mm-hmm. for such a small lad and he's, he still has that pace I think he's 30, 31 but he still has that injection of pace and, and when he talks to training people listen you know you can see the, the Jack Gillens and, and any of the younger guys and, and they listen to him you know Derek Clinton is probably you know gets on really well and uh, Davies probably brought him under his wing and kind of you know can see a bit of potential in him so he, he's kind of you know following what Davy does and, and when he says when he talks to the rest of them, everyone listens and that's probably that he was a massive, massive injection into, into our panel, definitely. Yeah, I think Scale was saying he's a bit of crack as well. Like, you know, by his own admission, Davey wasn't able to train totally with you all the time. And yeah. by the time that he's actually in with the panel, he's a bit of crack and a bit of fun, which you actually need. If you're going through a very difficult campaign and you've got, you know, lots of big targets to hit, you need someone who can actually maybe G up the spirits at different times as well. Yeah, he's, he's, he's definitely a bit of crack. We, we kind of nicknamed him Louis. He's all with these Louis Vuitton bags, and we nicknamed him Louis there. So the scale probably know all about that. But yeah, no, he definitely is that. Uh, he's definitely one of the big, big characters in the dressing room. And I says when he takes us serious and he talks, you know, we we know we listen and we and react to it because he knows how to, you know, he, he knows what it's like to, to win. And I suppose having a layer of winner in your dressing room definitely take that all day long. What about the leader you have at the other end of the field? Like, look, you know all about Jogger Doyle between club and between county here. Like, I thought he spoke remarkably well. He did a piece with the 42 about the idea of the season been over early because there was a discussion which was used on the Sunday game and the idea was, ah, look at how well Westmead have done, but it's an awful pity the Westmead hurlers don't get to hurl into June. And Tommy was kind of making the point that this is one of the first years where he actually has a defined window since he started hurling because you were always waiting to see when the county were knocked out and you didn't yeah. know when the club championship was going to start I thought like because we've all talked around the idea of the split season but he's one of the few players I thought that actually spoke really well about it and laid out the players position Yeah I, th- I, I completely agree with him I think this year has been brilliant we knew I suppose kind of the leash game was sort of our end date if results I suppose didn't go our way through the, through the championship and to have June off is, is brilliant because I see all the lads going holidays. They're all it's most of the county players that to have that switch off because usually it's championship over with the with the county. You might have a week, ten days, and you're back in with the club with no you know no wind down. And I, I think it's been brilliant. And I suppose Tommy is after having one of his best seasons that I've ever seen him playing. He's been absolutely you know brilliant. And I suppose he, he struggled a small bit with confidence over the years, but now he, he absolutely has his. You know his head is in the right place. He's he's you know he's in really good form, and when Tommy's good form, he brings everyone along. You know that's that's one of his strongest points. Is when you know when you're if you're going out for a pint, you love having him with you because he's really he's great he's great crack and he's you know he's he's the life and soul of a lot of parties. But he, you know but he's when he's serious he's serious and when he 
suppose that's that's his, you know that was a strong point this year is he, he could he could allow himself to switch off and but still enjoy himself as well you know and that's 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 when he's at his best and and this year we really seen that with him. What an athlete though! Like I remember a few seasons ago, he went in on Shamey Callan when Callan was in nearly the form of his career, and Tommy did a remarkable job, tight marking him, one of genuinely the best forwards around. Like genuinely, he tends to be detailed on whoever the most uh, important attacker is when you guys are facing them, and as a result, he's gone on a lot of good fourteens over the years, and he is so so difficult to get past. Like Tommy is genuinely one of the best defenders in the entire country. Oh, easily. He- He's six foot four or five, and he probably draws a lot of attention as well. But I said, you know, after that game, he probably struggled a small bit with his confidence for for you know reasons he'll only know, I suppose. But I said this year it was a year I've seen him, you know, in really good form. He, he he's you know when he's in that good of form uh, off the field, you know, he he's really really at the, on the field. And I suppose he must have in the first game. He played really well. Um, I don't know who he's on again. Go, I think he scored a point off Rowan Hayes. I think Rowan Hayes took off again Dublin. So that that's he was just buzzing, and there was no attitude change. He was just the same person at training. There was no you know look what I done or sort of thing. He's just very level headed, and you know that's he brought that in a massive year. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of noise that he gets a decent nomination for an All Star this year because I definitely think he deserves it. Yeah, I think so too. I remember chatting to him a couple of years ago, actually, around about the time when he was getting a little bit of praise for Callan and he did a good a good job on Canning when you guys had played them in, I think it was a preliminary quarterfinal that year too. And it sure, just, yeah. well, he's just so calm about it. He was like, oh yeah, yeah, well, you know, Canning will drag you here, so you just got to make sure you don't get dragged out too far. And he's just so matter of fact about the way he defends, a real kind of uh, old school defender in a way, but also remarkably good with the ball when he's gone out the other way. And that's one of the things, you've had so many skillful hurlers, Derek, come through in the last years. I'm even thinking of like the Doyle twin and uh, Killian's a very young captain right now but he's not going to end up the full top scorer in the championship but when you guys exited he was top scorer in the championship with 59 points and like what a remarkable return from Killian this year as well Yeah he, he's Killian's a strong character I, I get on very well with him and he's uh, he's you know again when he talks people listen sort of thing he's, he's young but he's He's very, he knows what he's about and he really wants to, he's sick of the moral victories. He's sick of the, oh, well done, you played well. Sort of thing. He wants to, to now win games. And I suppose having, I suppose, Killian of that age group to drive Westmead on for the next few years and not, not just settling for a moral victory or not just settling for a tap on the back. He, as I said, he kicked his helmet around the way, around the dressing room again, Dublin, because he was that annoyed that we didn't get a result. And I suppose, that attitude can only be positive for Westmead, I suppose, you know, at his age group, I suppose, I think he's 25, maybe, or mm-hmm. whatever he is. But at that age group, you know, the lads come behind him, you know, he needs to, he needs to probably be captain for a couple more years because he can bring that drive into, into everyone, I suppose. Yeah, because I was chatting to Michael Ryan, your former manager, after the league final. And I said to him, like, it's great to see Killian and Kieran actually starting to realise their full potential now at senior mm-hmm. level. And it's not an easy thing to do because these two lads banged in nine or ten goals between them in a fail final when they were 12 or 13 years of age. And everyone is hearing about them. And it's the Doyle twins. And, you know, they obviously played well for a Harney over the last few years, too. And, like, a remarkable amount of hype about them at quite a young age. Not everyone actually makes it. Like you don't necessarily be a superstar at under thirteen, under fourteen, and actually end up becoming the county captain. Yeah, for sure. And I suppose Raharney, I suppose being his club, they're a strong club team, and, and I suppose he was shooting lights out with them all year, and then then winning the championship. And I suppose it was it was right that he got got the got his hands on, on the captaincy because he he had been had a good very good couple of years. I think he was away in the All Star trip at Paddy Purcell um, a couple of years back, so. 
he's he's for a young man he's he's had a lot of you know a lot of experience and a lot of you know playing at the highest level already so he played very strongly with with DCU as well in, in college if it's given so he's been around the block and and still as I said still very young and and doesn't you know doesn't go around with his with his head up in the air that's all about him it's very much he's he's very much about Westmead and yeah he, he probably takes on some outrageous shots from you know when he should be passing the ball around but look he, that'll come you know he'll learn to, to start being a team player or that's probably where I'm now at the minute trying to trying to you know link the players as suppose and rather being the shooter all the time so that's I suppose Killian is definitely growing he's going to go on to 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 win lots I suppose with his club as well and hopefully you know turn turn a big team around in, in Westmead and, and you know be the main man to do that I suppose that's the benefit of experience you know because it kind of reminds me a little bit like obviously the conversations go on and we had a lot of people who missed the show last week and they were like oh yeah Tony Kelly did brilliant he scored 13 points in the Munster final but he shoots him some outrageous angles so there's wides when maybe he needs to learn how to mix his game up a little bit but I think sometimes like you tell me what it's like when you're a player beside someone like that you, there's some games like I remember Killian and Crow Park against Leash a few years ago it was a game that you lost in the Joe McDonough final but still yeah. everywhere you shot from he seemed to score like when you've got someone who's that talented do you just kind of accept that they might miss some of these low percentage shots but what their talent means they might score ones that others can't yeah I suppose it's it's a hard one it's Killian's is suppose is an issue is to, is to shoot every time but I think this year was one of the years that he started actually Right, I I don't need to be doing everything here. I don't need to be, you know, shooting from everywhere. There's like you have Niall O'Brien, you have Mitchell, you have Keys, you have Joy, you have Robbie, you have Cormac, you have really talented players around you. You don't need to be shooting from you know, trying to shoot from everywhere and doing all the scoring. If we can get him on the end of the ball, end of the shot, end of the I suppose, end of the play to, to take the shot, then brilliant. You know, he's then he's going to be in the position to score. But I don't think this year, this is one of his years that he didn't actually zone in completely and on, on, on taking mad shots from, from mad angles. He really seen the benefit of, of you know throwing the ball around to the team because I said we have really skills for forwards that can score and even our half back thing can score from anywhere. So I suppose that's that's you know where his game has started to change a bit. And tell me this on the final note, like considering we've just been chatting away now for the last few minutes about all the progress and how important Division One is and the excitement of opening senior championship again next year. We're kind of twenty years coming around on the clock here. If you're fit and firing it would have to be very difficult to walk away from where Westmead are at right now. Because I, I can feel the excitement in your voice about the idea of testing yourself against those top teams. Because I think you'd replace Offaly in Division 1A next year is how it stands. So you'd have to play against uh, Galway, Limerick, Clare, Wexford. That's pretty tasty. Yeah, it, look, there's definitely, a, a, I've made no decision or had no chat about it. And I said this time last year, or whenever Joe was appointed, it was September last year, in fairness to Joe, I had a lot of stuff going on personally. And that's one thing I really, you know, from all the managers I had over the years, he really gave you your space. And if you're, everything was happy away from the pitch, come back to me in, in the best headspace. And I think a lot of players would vouch for that. That was one of Joe's massive strong points. And I really admire him for that because he gave me space in December and early January that I just needed. And that's kind of when I come back, you know, refreshed and, and man for action. So, I'll definitely have a conversation with Joe again. I'll be giving nothing away, yes, but I said um, I'll talk with herself at home as well. But uh, look, this, this, the future is bright for Westmead next year. It's a massive thing. It's the first time in 50 years that we're both Division One and Dean McCarthy. And mm. I see my nephew, he's playing minor county at the minute and, and really excited about you know being a Westmead hurler, which is great to see where, where he's a lot of distractions kind of schooled with rugby and soccer and he's kind of focused on Westmead and, and his friends are the same. 
So look, yeah, it's going to be an enjoyable year yesterday, next year, and we'll see. We'll see how the rest of the year. Hopefully, the club campaign goes really well, and if it does, and I stay injury free, then then you won't know what happened. Yeah, I'm not going to retire you on the pod. You always want to leave the jersey mm. in a better place, but uh, yeah. I would never force you into that decision to have to say it now. Derek, it's been great to catch up with you. It's great to hear yeah. how well Westmead have done. Before I let you go, you obviously played Wexford earlier this year. How do you reckon they're going to get on against Clare? What, what looks a very difficult quarterfinal for them this coming weekend? To be fair to Wexford, they have probably the best man markers in their back line. Well, they're definitely going to stick one to Tony Kelly because... I think if 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 Tony's held anyway to a to a normal game, then Wexford have a really good chance. So I wouldn't write Wexford off. Um, it's in Turles, it's a massive field, and they're probably both as clear. You know, they're coming down off a massive monster final. Like that was a huge game, uh, and mentally, emotionally, you know, they're gonna to 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 regenerate themselves to get up to that level again. And I suppose Limerick are obviously the team to beat at the minute, but. I, I I still wouldn't write Wexford off. They could still get a result. And I said, hold Tony Kelly. Uh, and, and that's a lot of clear firing power is, is hell, I suppose. So I definitely wouldn't write Wexford off on that one. Yeah, especially if Peter Duggan is suspended and if uh, Rory Hayes yeah, is unable to play. Well. Probably all depends on the appeals during the week. Like, in a way, Derek, it felt like he poked the bear by getting the result against Wexford in Mullingar because it actually caused them to entirely refocus when they went down to Nolan Park. It's it's very difficult in this championship to actually call games when you consider what a team can actually achieve in a few weeks. And, like, I'm sure Wexford have been working away quietly in the background, watching what Clare did against Limerick, and they'll probably be out there to give this a right good cut of Thurless on Saturday. Yeah, I suppose the Wexford game, we were kind of, we were hearing reports that they were kind of focused on Kikemi and didn't give us kind of, you know, any thought at all. And that really kind of drove us, you know, it was a small bit disrespectful. And, and, and I would have heard of it, Lee and Connor in, in, in college. And, you know, we felt like, you know, we were as good as, you know, as good a players as them. We're kind of going like, they're really disrespectful. Us. And um, there was a few, you know, there's a few different uh, motivations going on in that, that, that week of that game. Um, I said we heard small stories back that it was all about Kenny and never even thought about Westmead so that was I suppose they're probably now you know they, they felt the effect of that and I suppose that maybe has helped them you know on their journey they went back they went against Kenny and ha- their backs against the wall I suppose so but look, yeah look Wexler is still a very good team I wouldn't write them off against Clare clear down a couple of men and I said hold Tony Kelly and you have a chance against Clare put it that way well, look, we'll see what happens this weekend. Five trophies in recent years for Westmead, but probably the biggest cup of all, as you mentioned, is uh, being in the top flight in both the league and the championship next year. Derek, thanks a million for uh, chatting thanks to us here in the Hurling Pod. Cheers. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Bill.